Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> Wait. All right, what up, what up? DJ Geometrics here. We're back at it again. It's that time, Thursday Night Live. This is episode 10. It's the mid-season finale. Shout out to everyone watching us right now on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitch. If you want to join us on Zoom and chat directly with our guests, just hit up that link on your screen, bit.ly slash the nine at nine. Once again, just hit up that link on the screen. We have a great show lineup for you all tonight. Our guests for tonight are some of the most well-respected DJs in the business and big advocates for social justice. We'll talk about artists and DJs that are using their platforms to benefit the cause and progress the movement. So kick back and tune in for, with us for a couple hours. Let's all build and learn together tonight. As always, our music man, DJ As One, start off the show for us. Let's go. Out, out in the street, they call it it's an ill mind that's still time building refined. Still getting mine in the nine Geometrics. Stylus Chris. DJ as one. Yeah. Once again, we're back. We're back with the Nine at Nine, the only show on the internet where we have nine DJs on a roundtable panel discussing today's DJ topic. This show is presented to you by a beer refinery DJ school at Bokhtarok. If you want to learn how to mix, scratch, and make music, visit us at beerrefinery.com. We have locations nationwide. Make sure to subscribe to the Nine at Nine podcast on Apple, Spotify, Mixcloud, wherever you consume and listen to all things podcasts. New episodes uploaded every Monday. So on with the show. Let me introduce the rest of the crew. We got DJ As One. Hey, <laughs> what's up, guys? <laughs> Next up, we have Sean J. Oh, uh, yeah. What's up? What's up? And finally, I'm going to pass it off to the one and only Stylist Chris. Let's start it like this, son. Peace. Yeah, we are really thankful to have these guests here today. Uh, if you've been following through with... Uh, 10 weeks of these episodes we've we've been able to really dive into some fun topics some serious topics some real life topics some nerdy topics but this week in particular we're some we're diving into something that's near and dear to pretty much everybody on this panel's heart but i think um you know we're seeing some pretty interesting times in our country and we're and we're seeing some i think hopefully some real change and we've got some of the the people that i inspire inspire me on a daily basis for what they do not only professionally, but also um, in their humanitarian efforts. So with that, we're going to run them down as we always do in alphabetical order. Our girl, Alchemist, Beat Refinery, teacher, alum, instructor. Uh, fun, fun fact about Kim, because she's so humble, she's also spent a lot of time in the Brooklyn Symphony as a violist. So she is super dope when it comes to music. But she actually was an activist long before she was a musician or a DJ and has been a troublemaker to the system ever since she was a kid. My favorite troublemaker. <laughs> she has protested police brutality and corruption for 20 years. She has been arrested by the Secret Service for protesting. She believes that actions speak louder than Instagram posts and that standing up, even if you're, if you're the only one standing up, is fundamental to true change and revolt. That is DJ Alchemist. Welcome. Hey. 
Thanks, Chris. I also wanted to point out that June is a really great month for activists because June 11th, we had um, a day to recognize and advocate for and free political prisoners. And then tomorrow is Juneteenth. So this is kind of a perfectly timed podcast. Well, this was full disclosure. This was Kim's idea. So yes. thank you, Kim. The reason for, we are all here. That's right. Um, Kim is Kim is special to, to to me personally, and also to the beat refinery. And Absolutely. you know, when when Kim, it's hard to get Kim on on TV like this. So you know, <laughs> you know, she really wants to be here. So thank you. Um, thank you. Next up, he he's been on our show once before, and we were super grateful to him. He was a uh, touring DJ for Wiz Khalifa, assistant program director in Middays on Go 95.3. He's in the heavy hitters. He's a two-time Red Bull three-style winner. He has been uh, just right in the thick of it, and we're so thankful for him to be here. Philly, Pittsburgh, L.A., Portland, now in Minnesota. Let's give it up for DJ Bonnix. Thank you, guys. All you guys have beautiful smiles. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Good. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, just to come back on the show and all the kind words that you've said already and just to even be a part of this group and whatever I'm doing that's emanating social change and you're receiving it that way, I can't be any more happier than that. So, uh, you know, I'm sure we might butt heads if we do in this conversation. If we don't, I still like everyone. And, uh, you know, it's we all like good. you, too. We love you. <laughs> well, you know, I think I think, you, you know, I've been obviously talking with you and following you and and i i think we all have to always remind ourselves that if we find we only look to hang out with people that think exactly the way we do we're going to be very lonely people and you know we always have to to realize that some sometimes we might differ on things but even if it's your favorite favorite team or your favorite animal you know who whatever it is some like dogs some like cats it's the way it goes you know we're we're all humans here with i think good hearts and um, you know, one thing you told me earlier, I want to tell the guests was pretty cool. You know, with your show, you've been able to really use the, the radio as a, as a platform. Um, and you had told us that Kevin Lyles actually called up and was willing to donate a significant amount of money. And yeah, he, was checking in with, he was checking in with a bunch of DJs and people in the cities. And I was, uh, you know, someone reached out to me and he, he, uh, was donating on uh, on my behalf, which was great um, to to build up the Lake Street Lake City Council. But just to have someone like that, who's been a part of the game in so many different ways, you know, I'm still a kid, man. You know, I'm still geeking because Cosmo Baker's in here. You know what I'm saying? Me too. Yeah, <laughs> man. Yeah. So it's just to be, to be where I am now, and and the possibilities of where it can go for another 20 years. Shit. Uh, so I'm just happy to be here, guys. Yeah, well, and we appreciate that nice segue into our next guest. Uh-huh. Um, he, is, he is definitely, amongst DJs and producers, an icon, a legend. I will say it because I've been a fan of his for a long time. Uh, owning a record store, I would, I would certainly just love the days when you'd see a, a record from The Rub come in, part of the crew that he was in. Uh, one of, another one of my hero DJs, King Brit. This man shared a party with him called Back to Basics. It was it's a legendary party in Philly. Um, he moved to Brooklyn, worked at Eight Ball Records, another iconic record store. I, I used to stand at the window and wait to get buzzed in. It was like one of the most exhilarating feelings to get the buzzer. It allows you to come into that place back in the '90s for sure. And um, you know he's he's all over the place, DJing, spreading love, spreading music, 
using his platform for activism. Let's give it up for our man Cosmo Baker. Cosmo Baker. Man, you got the drop right, right, right. Thank you, thank you, Skylar. Uh, uh, yeah, you made me feel mad old with that intro. <laughs> yeah, sorry, man. I think do that here and there. It's, yeah, it's, it's coming into it's coming into fashion, man. It's yeah, good. yeah. You know, look if you wear it well, right? You know. Um, but yeah, I'm really, really glad to be here. Thank you for putting this together, and um, I'm really, really psyched to be here with all uh, my fellow participants. Well, we are really appreciative of you, and can't wait to get into some of these conversations that we're all i know we're really itching so we're gonna keep running it down this this gentleman turntable is based out of chicago in the scratcher chicago crew uh 2014 bmc world team he is currently advocating against systematic racism and racial bias found in the nightclub scene in chicago and also all around the country if you've been following him um he is one of the dopest djs skill-wise and always when I've seen him do battles and routines he's always putting a little bit more of that conscious effort into it. Let's give it up for Artist! Hi, uh, what up y'all? <laughs> I'm alright, I'm not that great. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. It's an, it's an honor to be here y'all. Thank you for having me. Well, we really appreciate you taking time out and um, Hi, you know, you. looking forward to, to hearing, you know, you were one of the first guys that I saw really call out the industry in a way um, that a loud and very important long uh, long overdue and um, we need to talk about that tonight yeah yeah yes. for sure oh, and and last and certainly not loves. least I'm sure he's ready this native New Yorker Brooklyn born whose mission in life is to make life better for the marginalized groups that built NYC she moonlights as a DJ and spent most of her career working at nonprofits creating affordable housing but has now been working for the past few years as an urban planner Working with communities address issues around economic development and racial justice. She is one of the creators of Donuts Are Forever, an annual fundraiser and tribute to Jay Dilla, which has raised tens of thousands of dollars for various nonprofit organizations. Also a resident DJ and co-organizer of the Makosa Cookout, a bi-coastal summertime series featuring DJs and food. Makosa stands for diverse, vibrant community and creates a safe space where people of color can express their culture and celebrate themselves. Let's give it up for DJ Tara. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you for being with us and taking time out of, I'm sure, what is probably just a crazy spin of the last three months being from what you do on a daily to coronavirus and the epicenter and then the uprisings. It's It must just be nuts being in New York City these days. It is, but, you know, it's it's still, you know, I mean, that's why I live here. I've been here all my life, so summer's always crazy here, so this is great. I mean, it's a good energy, even though it's definitely upside down right now but it's a good energy <laughs> and i went uh, i was just curious on a personal level with makosa is that um cameroon from manu dubongo is that the inspiration for it for, or yeah. is it yeah it is. um because it means dance and um we had actually yeah it, it's a party that actually originated in the bay um our uh partner one way possible um lives out in the bay came to New York one summer many years, oh, 10 years ago, actually, now. Um, we're going, we're about to do, this was a, supposed to be our 11th year. Um, did a party in the backyard of my friend's store. We just linked up and we we're like, we should just do this. And we've been doing it ever, some, every summer, ever since um, once a month. He flies out from the Bay to come to New York. Um, we do it in LA as well. We've 
also taken it to a few other cities. So um, yeah, I think it, like, it's a great name that encompasses everything, but really just want people to dance and eat and have a good time, just like you would at a cookout if your friends just were having a kickback in their crib. That's what's up, man. That, I need to make it to one, that's for sure. I'm ready. Absolutely, please. Well, not this summer. We're still yeah. we're, doing not, we're doing it on Twitch, but next summer, hopefully, if everything's safe, we'll be back up on a rooftop. So we would love it if you came. Nice, nice. Now, I, I was curious: were you uh, working in your field, your your day job, before you were DJing, or was it something that kind of came at the same time? Or it came at the same time. I had like a life revelation um where i just was about to i was about to move and i decided to not move and i'm like well if i'm going to stay in new york what, what are you going to do um so i was like well two things i really wanted to do was learn how to dj and um go back to school i was working at a bank it wasn't my thing um yeah and realized like this was something that had kind of been always in the back of my mind all my life um like alchemist i've been my, my dad took me to my first protest when i was 10 um always like just had a sense that I needed to just do better and not just work making money for someone else. Um, rather make no money and work for a nonprofit, but um, <laughs> I never regret it. I took a pay cut. I never regretted a day in my life straight up. Um, so yeah, it was like kind of came together at the same time. I used to throw parties before I became a DJ and started doing the urban planning thing. But before then, um, you know, they, all that kind of came at the same time. Yeah, and I, I think uh, I would imagine the work that you do on the day, sometimes that release of being able to play music after, um, you know, a trying day or, or going through some of the bureaucracy of, of working in urban planning and the, and the, I'm sure the obstacles that you come across, like some days just like, I just can't wait to get and play this music that just you know, is going to speak to your situation. You know, I, I think it's it's interesting as DJs, you know, we're always told like, all right, you're on. You, if you're not having fun, nobody's having fun. But that the way that we translate fun doesn't always have to be on, on a surface of, of fluff and, and of, of superficial fun. It's like a lot of times that fun can come from just playing really meaningful music, you know. And, and um, you know, so I appreciate you for doing that and, and you know, being this contributor to humanity in, in so many different ways. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, all of you. I mean, we're all here together. We're all doing we're all doing the work. It takes all of us. It takes every single fucking person on this planet, honestly, to do it. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And Cosmo, like, um, you know, for, for those that, that know you have known that, you know, where you've been on, on your mindset, just if they, you know, some of the things that I love about you are just when you write, you know, I think you're a really gifted writer. I, I may maybe right up there with your DJ skills, honestly. I, I, I want to see, I would, I'm really, I'm calling you right now. I'm, I'm telling you, I want to see the Cosmo Baker book at some point. Please. I uh, do. And I, and it's, and basically just based on your, you know, just when you go down rabbit holes on Twitter of, of artists or musicians, um, it, I just, I'm, I'm a fan of it. I really like what you do. I really like how you incorporate music and society and, and what was happening with, those bands, uh, you know, if anybody's ever seen when you wrote about the Beastie Boys, when, uh, when the, with the passing of, it was, it was incredible. I mean, I was in tears. Just, I was, I was in the, I was in the living room with you that you wrote it so, so poignantly and perfectly. But well, tell us about that. that. Tell us about what, what inspires you to, to write, you know, when it, and, and use that. Uh, well, I've always written. It's actually something that I've done since I was a kid. Um, you know, with 
journals of poetry and, you know, short stories and things like that, you know, the, the act of writing as an extension of your voice um, is something that I've always kind of had a, an innate uh, understanding of, the, of that connection. You know, somebody told me years ago, I can't remember who it was. They said, uh, and I'm going to say this with all humility. Uh, hey, Cosmo, I love your writing. You're a really good writer. Do you know why I know? Because when I read it, I hear your voice. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's something that always kind of resonated with me. Um, and, you know, a, a shit ton of people have said, hey, when are we going to get the book? When are we going to get the book? <laughs> <laughs> and who knows, man? We'll, we'll see. I, you know, I got to figure out how to... Uh, you know, get my discipline in order to, to, to actually buckle down and do that. But um, yeah, you know, the thing about it is, is I mean, ultimately it's, it's a, a matter of communication and telling stories, which in a sense is what we also do as DJs, you know? So it, it really is, it's almost like second nature to me uh, in the sense that, you know, if I'm DJing, I'm trying to actually spin some sort of narrative, some sort of cohesive narrative over the course of the two hours or the three hours that I'm playing, right? You know, and it's the same thing with, uh, with when I put pen to paper or fingers to, to keyboards, uh, you know, and the same way that I like to, in my DJ sets, have some sort of illusion to maybe a deeper subtext. Uh, you know, it's, it's just natural for me to, when I write, I, 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 that just kind of comes out. Other than when I'm on Twitter and I'm just like popping shit. <laughs> yeah, but some of those, some Which of those I rabbit also holes, do a lot. <laughs> some of those rabbit holes have been on Twitter. Like you know, I've, you just I, I don't know if anybody has seen it, but the you know when the way you went on on Snickers, man, that I just love that one. That oh one, man, my, yeah. that has to be in the book because it was it was just the way that you describe DJing and and what DJs do or what at least speaks to me as why I DJ it was it was just very spot on and perfect um and well yeah i mean they needed to be called out i mean you have a a, a you know a billion dollar corporation mars or whomever you know and you know in their misguided attempt to make fun of basically what what is a relatively large segment of a working class population trying to portray it as being not accomplished trying to portray it as being uh, trite, you know, lesser than, you know. And I know so many people who make their living as working class blue collar DJs, people who may actually have day jobs and they subsidize their income and they actually pay their bills and take care of their families by doing something which A, they love, is creative expression and actually serves a community. It serves the community the way that us DJs do with... uh, uh, entertaining people, educating them, giving them a safe haven, allowing them to uh, uh, being a voice for those who don't have voices, you know. So, listen, a major corporation is going to show their ass like that. I'm going to I'm going to smack it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, smack it, flip it, rub it down, yeah. all of it. Uh, That's what's up, I mean, Bonix. You know, you you've been on the show now. This is your second time, and you know, when, when we started the show, it was it was mostly because we were trying to just use this time to reach other DJs and connect with each other, but also connect the DJ culture, not only our students, but also our friends and other like-minded DJs that, that jive with us about just being stuck in the house. And then, you know, last time we talked to you, we were, we were talking about the radio station, what that was, how that was. And then here we are, you became 
an epicenter. You're the epicenter. You're the you're the voice of the street at this point. You're 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 on the radio. You're 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 able to to send that power out um, to people. And and how how has that how's that been for you personally? And, and you know, man, by you saying that, it, a part of me also feels like I'm not doing enough um, because I am in the epicenter. But at the same time, like there's so many sensitive things going on, and I'm working every day. I'm on the radio every day. And what I was saying to you guys before is that there is a self-preservation about it because if I put myself in the front line consistently and I do something that hurts myself or, or, you know, or others, or then I won't, then a person like me won't be a voice on the radio. You feel me? And, And so I look at it as that I have this, um, little piece of, of a stage on the radio that, I'm able to, you know, convey a message that I that I've been doing even before uh, all this really is just love. Um, but it's different now because even showing compassion and shit is is uh, is hard too um, by experience, and uh, that's tough because I know where I'm coming from. But if it's being received differently, but back to what you're saying about Minneapolis, man, you know, I think about it. I've I think about, but then I, th- I think about, you know, what Dave Chappelle said too about, hey, I'll take the back seat. He's still in the car, but you know, he's going to use his voice as strategically as he can. But he also doesn't want to talk over people either. So it's, you know, I've been just trying to share the voices, and also I'm going through this process too, like the pandemic and my bank and my post office and my neighbors are affected by this, obviously. I've been to Ground Zero, whatever, where George Floyd is, and that's a whole different feeling. Um, so it's a lot. You know, you saw the bus almost crash into the crowd there. You've seen the riots on it. You've seen all of this. And so having the radio actually feels good, too, because unlike on our Twitters or whatever, we can be extreme if we choose to be extreme about our messaging. Uh, but I have limits that I have to play on the radio, which is fair, because um, – we don't all like the same music, you know, and so, but we all like music, right? So uh, what I like to say is I made a comparison is like right now, there are two people who can come from two different places that don't agree on the same stuff, but they can like the same song, right? So that's how I want to walk and talk right now is that little fine line of how can I walk and talk in that way of, you know, being compassionate itself. So it's a little tough, man. I, I, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit, I'll be honest. But, you know, being in Ground Zero here, man, I'm experiencing it. And if anything, sharing the voices on the radio immediately in those days after everything happened, call the radio up. Where, where can you drop donations? Where do you need donations? It was like, it felt like, uh, like a, you know, you were an operator almost because it'd be a bunch of people saying, hey, where can I drop things off? Where can I, where can I do this? And just to have people to express themselves on the radio, I think is, uh, is amazing um, because they get to say how they feel and, they, and we do, we are like owned live, live and local, you know, we are live and local. So it's, it's pretty emotional, man. I haven't quite figured it out, but I do know that my message has been the same, which is like just trying to love. And, and I know there's people that listen to our station who definitely like Trump. Right. But how do I, how can I, how can I give them a message that may bring us closer? Cause I'm unable to be extreme, but you know, 
Well, actually, I want to jump in right there. Uh, something that you said that connects with what uh, Cosmo was saying about being a servant of the community, using your DJ skills to do that. That's a perfect bridge because you've got that radio platform and you're able to walk the walk on the streets and see and feel what everybody else in your community is feeling. But to underline what you said about uh, the Dave Chappelle quote, Dave Chappelle is the only celebrity that I look up to as like someone I would want to sit down and have a conversation with and in that same special, he said it's important that we recognize that in any movement, there's going to be imperfect allies. Right. So where we have a place that we are feeling, all right, well, it's not my space. We've talked before we went live here as performers, as DJs, as artists, where we've been told for years to not use our platforms and our voice in the way that you're doing it. I think it's really important to acknowledge that even that even though that might feel like a little bit of imposter syndrome. You're doing exactly what's necessary right now to bridge those gaps for the, the listener who doesn't understand or agree with you and bringing them to the place where they can have the conversation with somebody on the other side. I think it's a, that J. Cole thing going on right now is like really a great example of perfect timing. Uh, yeah, we were talking about, you know, because it's so interesting because no name is obviously passionate and J. Cole's an intelligent guy, too. We know J. Cole's an intelligent guy. Um, it's just a good example of where di different people are in this. And uh, it, it's, you know, it speaks to what we're talking about now. For sure. I think uh, we all have different roles to play. This thing has multiple layers and it has multiple voices and multiple angles that have to be attacked and explored. And, you know, not everybody can be at the front of the, of the plane Somebody has to sometimes be on the on the wheels or preparing the meals or whatever it is. You know, we all we all have a role and, and you know, there's there's going to be time to stand up and scream. There's also going to be time to to do what you're doing. You know, I think I think most importantly, we have to stay united in all of us that really want to see it, it's as, it's as basic as right and wrong. These are very common human principles that we're asking people to abide by we're not we're not asking people to do something extreme you're actually being extreme by by being uh right. not inclusive you know or by not wanting to treat others the way you want to be treated it's a very simple you know just those things that we learn as little kids like treat others the way you want to be treated is this and you can stop the conversation there you know if if, if you're going to be judgmental or, or prejudice or racist to somebody how would you not expect the same treatment back you know and you know i think uh art artists you know when you when you kind of came out on on some of your platforms and and really going and exposing what happens to djs whether them them themselves are being uh a victim of, of racism and prejudice and bias or being told what to play because of what a club manager or owner sees. I just, I applaud you for standing out um, and doing that because a lot of people would just keep going and say, Hey, I just need that check this week. So I'm just going to go play and uh, talk to us about what, you know, what, what kind of built you up into saying, you know, I'm going with this. I'm going to put this out into the world. Well, uh, I mean, uh, I think, kind of what spurred it is just like you know the constant injustice that happens in this country really like and i think with like george floyd happening or his passing happening it was uh you know i mean that, that i mean it struck a chord with me that struck a chord with my wife it struck a chord with this whole country more or less it's just like it got everyone you know talking about not just like 
you know, unjust deaths, but, you know, like everything else that's kind of like, you know, no one, no one's being held accountable for up until now. So I think, you know, that conversation kind of just snowballed into just like this, you know, this big thing where just like, you know, we, we need to hold people accountable. Like, uh, you know, the, people have gone, you know, gone on too long, you know, just doing the most overt or subtle, like, you know, type of racism, you know what I'm saying? So it, it's, I think that, that, you know, just going to the protest kind of just, you know, amplified that for me. I've been, I've been going to, I've been going to, you know, maybe like a protest made like once or twice a week since, uh, since George Floyd's passing. So like, just kind of just, you know, getting the sense of where people are at, uh, you know, it, it kind of just brought me back to myself. Like, I, I like, w- like kind of just made me remember, like, what, what have I experienced? You know, I mean, I'm Filipino, but I mean, to be, to be real with you, I mean, it, like Asians are very, um, what can I say? Silent. Yeah, silent when it comes to like racial, you know? Yeah. We're, we're, I mean, we're very privileged and like, I mean, but like at the same time I've dealt, you know, I've had my fair share of like, <laughs> like racist attacks. So while DJing specifically, yeah. like, yeah, I mean, you, you, you know, I'd be like playing hip hop in a club and you know, a manager would come up to me, he's like, yo, can you change this? We're not trying to bring that type of people in here. And just like, you know, it made me think about all the times I've dealt with that. And, you know, it's just, it's hard to um, like kind of just let yourself die a little bit just so you can make some money. Mm. And and I, and I did that way too many times, you know, to be, you know, to like, to the point where I'm like, who am I? <laughs> You know what am I doing? This is absolutely wrong. So, I think the 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 reason why I started talking about it is because, uh, you know, part of, well, part of the reason why I started talking about it is because we're in quarantine and all these clubs and bars are closed right now. Yeah. And normally, if you would speak against them, ultimately they would just brush them off, or they would replace you with another DJ. Simple as that. And to be real with you, I haven't DJed at these like type of spots in you know in years had to be years uh and ultimately uh it it it, like it it got me to the point to just start talking about this because i mean why not (laughs) like we're all on the we're all on a level playing ground right now these like these these clubs aren't you know going to do anything right now because no one's going to their spot they might not be there when we come out of this in the, anyway. Some Absolutely, of them yeah. are already dropping like flies. Yeah, know? a lot of these venues just have such thin margins. We've talked about that in previous episodes. That's really good that in this time where there's nothing happening, this is a really good chance for people to analyze that. But can uh, I think uh, it's going to be helpful for our audience. I think that uh, because we also, as Beat Refinery, as a music school, have younger students who might not have club experience or might not have been to a club. Can you uh, kind of elaborate a little bit, artists, as to the, some of that coded language that us as club DJs, professional DJs, are used to hearing for anybody who might not be a DJ that's watching? Yeah, and I think people have, like, every DJ has kind of gotten their own version of this, but, like, the stuff I've heard, like, yeah, can you, can you switch up the, can you switch up the music, you know, we don't, we don't want that type of crowd as one, so, like, that type of crowd, meaning, like, it's black and brown people. It's dark in here, that's, like, one of the that's main things I've in the past, that I've just hate. as egregious. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not even just, it's not even just from the DJ's perspective, it's also just, like, the, the industry overall, there's just racial bias through and through, you see it in the dress code, 
Uh, you see it in how, you know, bartenders treat their patrons. You know, you, you see from, like, security just, like, pulling a dude just because he, he thought he was doing wrong. Actually, you know what's funny? Like, I've stepped outside of these clubs, and they st- actually stopped me for wearing, their, like, the wrong type of shoes. And I was DJing. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to get someone to get me in. So just, like, just the, but just the, uh, like the, the dress code alone, it just it, it singles out you know, <clears throat> a specific community, clearly. Like, there's, I mean, I'll, I'll call one out right now. Bottled Blonde here in Chicago was notorious for doing that. Like, they basically, like, they more or less want you to dress like you came out of a J. Crew catalog. Like, the. <laughs> I, uh, Absolutely. I was DJing at a club once. This is years ago, maybe 15 years or so ago. Uh, I was DJing, and they almost didn't let me in for wearing jeans. The name of the club was Denim. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly, I have more stories probably on two hands that I can count uh, of doing this as being like uh, when it came to, I guess, professional, like, I guess, full time uh, working as a as a music person, um, you know, in my 20s, I, I kind of just went to, to clubs just as a patron to hang out and stuff. And I had so many issues getting in like it was they would pick on any little thing. Go go to CVS boy and buy a white T-shirt and I'll let you in, Jeez. you know, uh, you know no no sneakers no this that but then as soon as i became a dj i uh yeah literally i could just wear whatever and walk in and i would i would kind of own that you know it was one of those things i felt like i earned you know and i would let people know like you know and i think the thing is you can one thing to combat that is like at least what i do is i'm I'm just friendly to everybody but i think that's the mind state of someone like myself if you know i i don't look at anybody you know one way or another i think if if i'm going to come work at your place and i'm coming in contact with you uh, you know, bar back manager, GM, uh, you know, where, whatever level you're on, you know, there's, there's a mutual respect there that we are all working on the clock at night. At least that's the way I look at it. And I think a lot of other DJs, uh, you know, like who got like big heads, they come in and they forget about the idea that they're, they're there, if not only as a highlighted guest, but they're there to help that, you know, help that place. I had like the opposite experience when I was just a patron, no problem getting in. But once I said I was the DJ, lots of clubs were like, no way. Like there's no way a female can be a DJ. They would quiz me on like hip hop knowledge only later then to tell me not to play hip hop because they didn't want black people in the club. Wow. Like I can't tell you how many clubs like put their foot down, almost didn't let me in the door. Um, gave me so much shit and it was 100 percent always the same clubs who later you know also had some sort of like racist attitude and i think it's really interesting i've always believed that all the causes you know can be connected that everything is kind of you know related to each other and i think it's no coincidence that the club owners and the club managers who hate women in positions of even tiny tiny positions of power right because you know djs are at the bottom of the totem pole really in, in the club scene but it's like they didn't want to see a woman in that position and they didn't want black people in their club, you know? Absolutely. And so I just kind of like gravitated towards clubs that were a little more accepting and inclusive and, you know, yeah. had black managers and things like that. But uh, I just think it's interesting. We had opposite experiences there. No, but it's funny though, uh, Alchemist, because, you know, you're absolutely right about, you know, how all the, all the struggles are all connected, right? Yeah. Um, and they're all concurrent as well yes. <laughs> um and never fucking ending <laughs> you know but, but, but with, um, that, with, that, with that said though i mean the reason why i started talking about them now is because 
everything is ended right now for them currently like yeah. you can you can literally i think the like the top word like this last few weeks has just been accountability like everybody has been like everybody who's like claiming solidarity you, you go in their comments you just see like all like everybody like just you know shoot out every egregious every you know flaming going off on these their asses they yeah. showed their asses they tried to say yeah black lives matter or we're here and we're you know trying to support a cause that they we know that all this time they've been the exact opposite they've been doing so otherwise right exact they for the picking. Mm-hmm. i think that's what it is like mm-hmm. i've had to go to venues um in new york that have you know they put up their little black square and said they're bullshit and i was like okay if you say black lives matter why aren't why haven't you paid your djs why you know i think i Straight up like that, like why you know? Or why don't you hire black DJs? Yeah, it's yeah. just it's, it's like you're you're putting it out there. If we're gonna, you want to talk about it? Let's talk about it. Um, I mean, that's really absolutely how, how it's yeah. And, it's and and, and you, they need, we, we need to talk about it, ultimately. I mean, like, I, these, these clubs might see it as a tax, but that's accountability. You have to take, you know, res- you have to take responsibility for, for those actions. I see, yeah, that's I, not I, a see, I see As One is trolling us right now with his background. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Yeah. No, but, not, yeah, but you're all right, though. I mean, here's, here's the thing. Like, you know, you know, like Malcolm X said, it's like chickens coming home to roost. Right. Yep. Because now, as we've seen, there's been a complete leveling of the playing field and everything is out there. Everybody is exposed. Right. So you can't fake the funk on this. You know, the idea of what Tara was talking about with these clubs that are putting up these performative gestures with a black fucking square, which really means nothing. Yep. You know, you're, you're not going to move the needle by a fucking Instagram post. Come on. You know what, how you're going to move the needle is to actually change, adopt and actually embody right practices and right philosophies. You know, exactly. the, the, you know, I, I think about, and I'm actually really, really lucky because I had not really had that much uh, experience with this type of behavior and these environments. You know, we've been able to do stuff in clubs, you know, that we were friends with the owner, you know, Southpaw and, you know, and doing stuff with the, the do-over and all the stuff in, here in Philadelphia um, with a bunch of the clubs where I would have residencies. So, you know, I thankfully... For better or for worse, I never really had that much of that type of experience. But I know that it's real, and I'm aware that it is, it is, uh, it's rampant. You know, if we look at this behavior, and I know this conversation is going to go all across the spectrum. But if we're just talking about nightclubs, you know, what they're doing is basically propagating their own mini microcosm of white supremacy here within this little pocket of capital gain where they can exploit black culture. They can work to the bone black and brown folk for no fucking pay to entertain rich white, might be not even rich, but privileged white people who want nothing to do with the people. They just want to cherry pick culture. Yep. Yep. And white people are getting paid off of that. And it just completely, it completely, uh, it, it, it becomes, it, it, it's in perpetuity. And they don't, and they don't want, I mean, as, as ironic as it sounds, like a club is never an inclusive place for like a black and brown person. And yeah, ultimately, like they just, they're really afraid like of having their whiteness stripped if there's, you know, too many of us in there's in like one room. And, and that's the hypocrisy right there, man. Yep. Like, you know, like, yeah. like DJs play black music. 
but you know you can't come in to to the club wearing you know uh what the music is pretty you know basically like the lifestyle wearing basically wearing hip-hop you know like that's why jay-z had to change clothes can't even wear a hat you know like, <laughs> oh, no yeah. timberlands no chances bro and speaking of dress codes like not even a dress code uh there's like primers that you get for djs like that's our dress code if you go to a specific like a specific bar like they'll tell you like what you can and cannot play and you know usually those are fine as long as they're worded right but i i came across one recently where it was just like no urban no dispense no disposable like you know urban you know shit i'm like wow you, if you're gonna play a trap song it's gotta be a rework of it like what's a rework trap song <laughs> it's just like we're, we're, i mean they dug that deep into yeah they want to be elevated but like that that's just like search the record pools like yeah like an up-tempo version <laughs> and but uh, i mean that's also that also speaks to like you know why like like hip-hop has to be really watered down to even be played at like these spots so like it, it, it's like not even you know black anymore, for like a better term. Like it's it's jacked up. They're like it it there's like all these little, you know, there's like a continue. It's like as Cosmo said, it was perpetuating. Like all this stuff kind of like you know lingers on. They're all parallel. I think uh, my generation of hip hop crew that we all came up early '80s of being so excited for the music that we were. In, in the D.C. area, it was just most people didn't really listen to hip hop. So if you actually found other people that listen to hip hop, that was just that was all you could focus on. That was it didn't matter about anything but but studying the culture and being in love with the culture. And for me, all my heroes were black. All the, all the people, you know, I remember being in the car one time and my mom had a radio. I was probably like eight or nine years old. My mom had her radio station on, which was probably like you know wash fm or something here in dc people know that and, and and i had been and i had been listening to the run dmc raising hell album like back to back to back to back every day and i said to my mom like mom i can't listen to this white music and she was just like what and i'm like yeah i don't i don't listen to this music and that was the day that she was like well i guess you're gonna just listen to this music and she was just kind of learning what hip hop was herself, you know, and, and, and for her, it was, it was, a, it was, it was just a, well, my son loves this music and he's going to go with this music and do what he wants to do. And, and subsequently, as we were 15 years old, a lot of the kids my age, we were starting to sneak into all the clubs in DC and the only clubs you could sneak into were the gay clubs and the gay clubs in DC were the joints and in the late eighties and early nineties where everybody went where I didn't see what you guys are talking about in the sense of, you know, you can't get in because you look like this or that. Because in the gay club, it was just like, everybody come, let's listen to house music and, and the, the, the uh, what did they call the back room? It had like uh, the ministry and like Nine Inch Nails and Depeche Mode. And then in the other room, you had all the early classic house jams and disco jams, you know, and everybody was just loving, loving music, you know, and. It wasn't until this almost maybe the more the the bottle service industry side of it, at least for me, where I started to see like, oh wow, like the whackness, or, or just like you know, <laughs> to the point where capitalism controls everything. Capitalism and racism are so tied together; <laughs> they are they are they are intertwined, and and you can see the people that are so much for 
capitalism and racism, they, they usually extend the same, the same gestures, the same notions, the same fears, the same um, appropriations that they want to look for. You know, I can't tell you how many times a, a club owner is, when you, when you like, you played your heart out and the club was packed and everybody was having a great time, but because there wasn't enough bottles sold, they're like, tonight was whack. Yeah. And you're just like, I just stab me in the heart, why don't you? You know, because I'm sitting here trying to play music that I love and seeing the reaction when you can, you, all of us have those nights where you get stuck in a spot where you're like, man, this crowd doesn't know it. They're, they're, they're very, you got to handle them with kid gloves. And then, and then there's the nights where you can just keep going down the rabbit hole of music and they're with you. And then to hear the club owner not understand that or the manager not understand that. And then the nights that you hated where they were like, tonight was great because they, some some dude popped off and bought five bottles of Ace of Spades, you know? It's like, <laughs> and you played Kesha four times. Sheesh. Or yeah, had to download, you know, download this song right now because he won't spend the money until this song comes out with the girls holding the bottles. I'm like, really? The worst. the worst. I think that right there actually is where a lot of this gets perpetuated from, and this is something that I'm fascinated by. Uh, would love to see a, like a more organized study around this, but the whole idea that nightlife exists and we are like the 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 catalyst within nightlife that bring people together with the music, but nightlife is selling sex and social status. And as we were saying earlier, there's that hierarchy of like who's allowed in the door. Okay, if you're wearing Tims and you're brown, then that's not okay. But if you're wearing Tims and you're white, well, we might let that slide. Right. And then there's these little filters along the way. Or if you're standing up, then you're obviously low class. If you've got a table, then you're important. And then it gets more and more specific into the person that can afford the most bottles gets whatever they want. And then it creates that power structure where us as the catalyst, we come in because we love the job of bringing people together. But the infrastructure around a nightclub or around these kind of bottle service models that really keep uh, clubs and lounges functioning and profitable right now is built around separating people into small groups, isolating the most powerful, wealthy, attractive person in the room and making everybody look at them when the sparklers come out and say, hey, you should want to be that person. You want to sit next to the DJ and tell them what to do. And that makes our job seem a lot less valuable because we're not the star of the show, whether you wanted to be or not. It's about separating pe people at that point. And I think that's I've never really had a chance to uh, have these kind of conversations with anyone outside of the DJ space. Um, I'm getting text messages right now from people that are not DJs that are listening in. So I'm, I'm very happy that this is a place that we are all kind of able to examine this a little bit more. Yeah. I, oh, God. Sorry. sorry. Oh, sorry. That, I was just going to say that structure is not exclusive to the nightclubs either, though. That's kind of how our whole society is built. And like and and people are becoming more and more woke to that fact, you know, because of some of these horrible incidents that are happening, you know, with the police murdering people. Um, and just it, it's just kind of blowing open the whole system. Right. And everybody's kind of like seeing like, wow, there's a lot of fucked up shit happening. And it's kind of affecting everybody and every little piece of my life. And, you know. So I, I think it's not, I think the nightclub has kind of gotten away with maybe maintaining that structure and those um, power dynamics um, maybe in a darker, uh, like creepier way because it is kind of just a below the surface kind of environment, if that makes any sense. But go ahead. I'm with you. Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right about that though, Alchemist, you know, and to kind of even expand on that a little bit, um, you know, like, I think that there's not a lot of eyes on nightclubs, uh, except for in an insular way within our mm -hmm. 
you know, and I think that by and large, the the, the vast amount of the, the population of our world uh, and our country thinks of nightclubs as being seedy and underbelly and all that stuff. All the good shit, which actually it kind of is, and you know, again, which is kind of the, the the bedrock of of nightclubs. But um, but you're absolutely right about how that is just a microcosm of the larger story. Uh, and on that note, I also think that you're absolutely right about what is happening right now in June of 2020. Um, you know, this has really been a very strange and arduous and brutalizing, brutalizing odyssey for everybody over the course of the past several months, you know, from the pandemic and the uncertainty that that brings and the, the roller coaster of emotions and the fear and the peril that it's instilled in all of us. Uh, uh, obviously, we've had three and a half years of living under an oppressive regime here in the United States, uh, and I call it a regime uh, by design. Uh, and then you have what is not, you know, then, you know the, the economic collapse, you know, which is, hasn't even really begun yet. You know, we're going to see the, the, the fallout of that in the months and years to come. Uh, and then with the murder of another black man in the streets, George Floyd, which was the match into the powder keg, which is explode. Yep. Thank fucking God it's exploding because it's about time. And, and the thing about it is, though, you know, I, I, I kind of want to bring it back to what you were talking about, how collectively everybody's kind of waking up. You know, I'm sure that everybody on this panel has had their own engagement in in their mind and in the way that they kind of go through life. But it's a really interesting thing to me over the course of the past several months. And I want to say this I, with the caveat that I'm almost kind of embarrassed to say this. I'm almost embarrassed to say that over the past couple months, several months, as crazy and as fucked up it's been, it's also been really exciting. And it's also been really, really invigorating in the sense that we are now collectively seeing this awakening because it's almost like the, uh, the change, change is supposed to be exciting. So, well, you know, you know, so like, all right. So, you know, the old story, the emperor's new clothes, right? Yeah. Mm. Right. We're kind of seeing that play out in real time mm -hmm. where people are saying, Oh, wow. Okay. Guess what? Oh, the, the government. Oh, they're completely inept. Oh, <laughs> that cat capitalism. <laughs> oh, it's completely fucking flawed. Oh, uh, you know, uh, our healthcare system, so, yeah. it's completely non-existent. And it's this slow-moving boulder that I think as of now in 2020, June of 2020, I don't think the momentum is going to stop. No. Mm. I hope not. I, I, think, not. Uh, I think what we've learned in a lot of this, and it maybe it even started in 08, but capitalism is only a parameter that we have to live by. Big businesses, they live by socialism. They get the money from the government all the time when they need it. But the people, we never see it. So, hmm. you know, if, if we own a if we own an airline and we need some of that government money because <laughs> we're going under, they're going to give it to us. Or if we own a car dealer, uh, you know, Ford or GM. But us, the yeah. us, 
the it's not people, businesses, it's mega corporations. Yeah, mega corporations, they don't they don't have to abide by those. They, now they want capitalism when when things are going and they're back on the treadmill and they're pumping and pumping, but when they're when their oxygen is is gone, they're they're begging for it. They're they're in need of it. And economics 101. Yeah, yeah. and it, it, absolutely. And, you know, and that's that's the one thing I I'm I have to say I'm so moved by I have a 12-year-old daughter. Um and I'm so moved by that generation, the young young generation up into like the early 20s of how how on fire they are for a lot of a lot of issues for saving the planet, for, um, you know, for equality, for economic fairness. There's so many so many things that young people are, are just like no more. And, you know, and you can even use the the forefathers if people want to always spout the forefathers the forefathers the forefathers were always like you know the old people they were all young and and they were in their except for george washington a lot of them were in their 20s and 30s as they were writing these constitutions as they were uprising from the king and 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 so even thomas jefferson said himself he's like once a person gets to a certain age they shouldn't be allowed to make voice anymore because they're not going to be here anymore, and it's and it's really I think we're seeing it happen to where these the younger generation is is just going to not take it. Yeah, yeah my, they're my, better than we were in that. Oh sense. yeah, they have more tools too. I think the internet has provided those that space a little bit. Yeah, the kids are definitely going. The kids are definitely all right. Definitely uh, better than a bunch of racist fucking founding fathers. Slavery. <laughs> <laughs> <Labels. Labels>. Yeah. Don't quote Washington. Pardon me. Sorry. No, I mean it's crazy how how messed up our culture is in that in that fact right there is we 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 spout the founding fathers and these dudes were pretty you know they were just trading one evil for a different evil for their own like we don't want to be under him we wanted to control our own evil right we don't need him controlling our evil <laughs> I love that that way of painting it it's like the WWF like the bad guys it's like when the bad guy turns on the bad guy and like oh the bad guy turned on the bad guy. They're so bad, guys. Heel on heel action. <laughs> More sound effects, please. <laughs> now, Terry, you, Terry, you, you've got to be seeing this. I mean, and what you do for on, on your day job and how you have to combat this, these, especially the the economic side of, of racism, and you know, kind of walk us through some of the things that you've kind of experience or, 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 you know, really what some, some of the things that you would, you want to enlighten us about? Oh, that's a lot. Okay. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I understand seeing like the excitement in all of this, but I think for a lot of people, especially myself as a black woman, it's like, I'm just, it's fun. I'm, no, no, I don't wish anyone to be in this situation as somebody who has had to experience racism, discrimination, all my life. I'm saying this not in a woe is me, feel sorry for me, victimized way, but in a way of like, this is this is my reality. And it's great that people have been waking up and they realize it's fucked up, but at the same time, like it's welcome to the party. Also, like you just got here for that, for that. Um, and then also considering the fact that like, this is something that I, do, I, I work on on the daily, it's frustrating, um, but I also know part of what brought me to where I was is just like going to school, learning about things that you don't learn about in school, learning about how, 
you know, thinking about when my mom and dad were looking to move us because I was, I was in Brooklyn, but they were, you know, Brooklyn was wild in the 80s. They were like, we got to get out of here. So they wanted to move out and move to the suburbs, of course. Um, and even that, like having um, my mom being and dad being steered towards certain neighborhoods, not white neighborhoods or, you know, less white neighborhoods because they, you know, in the, in the way of like just perpetuating racism and segregation, um, and realizing my mom had challenges there. And then even my own challenges when I moved out, when I was older, trying to find my own place to live and realizing like, this is fucked up up here. And then realizing like, it's fucked up for me who ha you know, who has an education, who has a good job, who has all of these things. Um, you know, imagine me, but with less. And the thought of that, me knowing that like at any moment, if I lose a job, if I, you know, any kind of, you know, tragedy befalls me I could just end up very well as you know like that person I was like no we got to do something better because none of nobody should have to um you know choose between paying their rent and eating food um and that's honestly like a lot of, that is very much a reality for many people in this country especially people in New York when people pay over 50 percent of their income towards rent um when affordability is supposed to be more like 30 percent um you know seeing people who um who are homeless on the street and don't have to be, um, not because they don't have, you know, they, they, you know, they have issues and really if you can put them in a safe place and provide them with, so, you know, services that they can access to stabilize their situation, they could thrive um, instead of building a shelter. Um, just seeing all of that and understanding really like what all of this is about, um, kind of drove me to that. And I think like a lot of people like they, you know, they, I think a lot of people just are really not educated and understanding what has brought us to this situation, what has brought us to this point. A lot of it is, it is very much intentional. It is very much planned. It's very much people don't give a fuck. It's very much a situation of our, um, you know, our wealth and resources being taken out of our communities and our own hands. And that's everybody, white, black, Asian, everybody, um, you know, towards like, you know, very rich white, corporate corporations and banks and things of that sort. So, um, you know, it's great that people are getting wind of it and understanding it, but to me, it kind of surprises me. Cause again, like, I just feel like I'm, I, how is it not so apparent? You may not know the workings or the history around it. Granted at this point, it's very easy with the internet to kind of get a sense and read a book and, you know, and do those things. But, um, to me, it's, 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 it, it's, um, I feel like, yeah, it's just something that I've always had to deal with to some degree. Um, education from education to, again, like, like finding a place to live, um, clubs at this rate. Um, I can't say I haven't experienced discrimination in a club, but at this rate, I'm also old enough to know that my money, my, you know, my money speaks a lot. And I, and I tell people, I will choose not to go to places. I tell people not to go to places. Um, I do not approach certain places to DJ. I know, you know, people who approach me, I think Cosmo, he had mentioned that he has, you know, he has never experienced that because people, you know, he, of course, the legend. So because he, Cosmo's know, the shit. Yeah, and, he's <laughs> and people know what, you know, like people know what he's about. So, you know, and I, you know, not to say that I'm, you know, I'm definitely not, but I think also like, if you're hiring me, especially if you know me and you're hiring me, you know what I'm about. So you're not going to come up to me and tell me not to play hip hop unless you want a situation. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's what it should be, honestly. Yeah, yeah but I definitely understand like people want to, you know, people want to make money. And also we are ultimately here because we want to share music that we appreciate. And a lot of us, you know, being that we DJ, DJing is rooted in hip hop. 
Um, so it, it's, it's natural, even if you are somebody who may not play hip hop, you know, solely on a day to day, I feel like everyone's kind of rooted in it because of, because of the origins. So, um, oh God, it's like, I'm really like long winded with the answer, but, um, it's That's what me, we were hoping for. Yeah. But to me, it's just a matter of like, it, I may like trying to maintain and trying to move forward. Um, definitely um, trying to balance um, understanding when I'm out doing, you know, at least what I do with my day job, like what's it, what's at stake? Um, not to put too much pressure, because again, I'm still one person, but ultimately like understanding that, um, um, you know, I love, I love my city. I've been here all my life. I should probably leave, but, um, you know, knowing enough that like, I want to contribute part of what makes New York city so dope are the people who, are suffering right now. Um, the people who built this city, you know, people who go to work every day, the people who have been going to work every day during this pandemic, you know, who live so far away that they have to take two, three buses, a subway, you know, when the, when the mayor, I'm sorry, when the um, governor shut down the subway overnight, that shit was infuriating because it's like, who's in the middle, people in the middle of the night rely on that subway. It's bad enough that they already have to like basically be on that shit for like an hour, an hour and a half, but now you're basically like tripling their commute time because you're shutting down the subway. Um, someone got shot and killed um, at a bus stop in the Bronx overnight because he worked overnight and his family was like, he wouldn't be at the bus stop normally. It's because the subway wasn't working. Mm. Um, so shit like that infuriates me, but it also like makes, you know, it makes you want to speak out more. It makes you want to like get up and go to work and do the work to try to affect this change. But it's very incremental. Um, and I think people need to understand that. Like there have been a lot of really great things going on right now. A lot of people with the protest, it's been three weeks now going on in New York um, every day to some, you know, there's some sort of rally, some sort of march. It's amazing to see. But I also, um, people need to realize that this is, this is very incremental. And if you're here, you're going to be here for the long haul. Hopefully it will happen in our lifetimes. I mean, I'm older now. I hope it's in my lifetime. But, you know, I, I but at the same time, like, I'm, if we're pushing a boulder up a hill, I'm going to push as much as I can until the next person comes and continues the, the push. Oh, I hope so. Um, hate to break the discussion right here, but we're at the top of the hour right now. Um, again, if anyone on the stream wants to join the Zoom chat and talk directly to our guests, just hit up that link on the screen, bit.ly slash the nine at nine. Uh, as always, we have students watching the stream. We always like to use this platform to educate. Um, we have our associate producer, Adrian. He's been collecting questions from the audience. So, uh, we're going to do a, a quick Q&A with our guest right now. So I am going to promote, let's get Doc Blast. Doc Blast in the place. Adrian up in here and uh, ask these hey everybody. How's it going? Hey, yo. Thank you, everybody, for sharing everything and, and being as open as we are. This needs to be talked about. Um, so I've been, I've been, uh, I want to ask a couple, uh, everybody some questions. Um, for someone who might be starting, do you find it difficult to balance, let's say, uh, we were talking about earlier, like having fun as a DJ, but also sharing your message. How do you, how do you find the balance between getting political and also having fun as a DJ? Is it even necessary to have fun as a DJ and to have that? positive vibe Ooh, i think getting political is fun yeah same um, <laughs> you, know, you don't have to be preachy you don't have to be you know i'm not gonna put 
public enemy on and then the coup on all night and be like, yeah, you know, but, um, you know, there are, and honestly, like, again, because a lot of music, a lot of the music that I play, um, are, is black music. It's, it's rooted. It is political. And, um, I've, you know, again, in, in trying to call out to people, um, those, you know, that music generated out of, of pain, out of situations that we've been in throughout the, our time in this country. Um, so it's inescapable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, even playing something that is, may not be on its face, um, very political to me is, um, there's, you know, there's a joy in that. There's a, t- you know, there's a time when they didn't want us to sing. They didn't want us to be happy. They want, you know, they don't want us to be as fly as we are. So to me, like, that's the ultimate rebellion. Um, you know, they didn't want us to smoke reefer. I would say that would be be up in their space, you know, that should, you know, it's all, all of that, all of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all inherently political at the end of the day, for sure. Absolutely. So when I know, I know that there are DJs out there right now who claim that they are not political or they don't like that there's like politics and music and things like that. I'm like, you, I don't know, you are purposely deluding yourself correct because if you are listening to anything that you play or anything that you like that shit is political the person who wrote that experienced shit within their life that in which they're expressing that music that makes it political as well right totally cosmo you you want to say something like you know joy there's a saying joy is an act of resistance right you know and you know the, the amalgamation of the entire canon of music that the, that by and large, what DJs play comes from that root of resistance. Comes from that root, you know. So, like, you're fooling yourself if you say that there's not that there. You know, um, I think that Tara put it absolutely perfectly. And when yes. you said, uh, you know, for a DJ that said, "I don't like the the politics," in my mind, it was just the emoji eyes. Right, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing you. Um, totally. But yeah, I mean, also get, understand like we were talking about earlier. You know, especially what's written to the DNA of, of DJing. You know, so much of it was an act of, of defiance and an act of resistance because you're coming from, uh, you know, uh, this huge. Uh, you're, you're coming from you're coming from uh, you're coming from this you know this huge overtly the uh, act of of oppression, you know, and you know in the in the gay clubs in the, in the late '60s early '70s, you know, create communities and create safe spaces and create absolutely their world. You know, I'm saying from from what was happening in the in the Bronx in the early '70s, you know, you know, you had a, a city that had just been laid to waste from neglect and and contempt uh, and they flipped it and they remixed it and they created they created something which ended up changing the world. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I, to answer the question, you know, like you don't necessarily have to kind of be over the top, like you said about playing PE or the coup or, you know, Paris or Sister Soldier. I mean, I'll play that. I will. I will. I will. Four righteous teachers. Four righteous teachers. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Ex-clan. But also, also remember, I mean, you know, X-clan. part of it is just like, you know, we can't lose touch of the things which 
you know, bring us happiness and, and bring us joy and, you know, us being like the collective us, you know. Well, and, you know, and I want to get, I want to let, give Bonick some, some space to talk about this too, because he's playing music every day on the radio. But, you know, I, I think I might've mentioned to you guys before, but um, some of you anyway, that that's, as DJs, that's what draws us in is all, just what you said, Cosmo, it's the dynamic of so many different kinds of emotion and, and being able to tap into that emotion. And, and I was telling these guys when I was down at the protest, you know, being in D.C., Kim, you know, I don't know if you came to D.C. originally for a, a job that I thought you think you came here for a job that was very, you know, a, a, a job of a strong belief. But growing up in D.C., we see we see protests every day. Like the protest is, you know, it gets to a point where you're like, man, I want to protest the protesters because there's <laughs> there's a protest about everything in D.C. every them. day of the week. Stop Street again. Always. And so this for us, a lot for a lot of us, this is kind of like normal life living in D.C. There's always somebody on Capitol Hill. You're seeing all these things go. You're seeing right, left, center, alien, all these all these crazy. Topics and and with uh, with the protest, what was incredible to me and what you were saying about the music and you could feel that emotion in the protesters. It would it would go from a moment of unity and people saying like you know the chants and the callouts were more about how incredible everybody was feeling to see all these walks of life together and then that would taper off and it would go to hands up, don't shoot. And you would see anger start to pull and rise up and then you would see a, like a, a drowning of emotion of of people just feeling just heart like their hearts being ripped out and you're just you're watching this kind of ebb and flows of of these emotions all within like a two-hour set of and it's almost like a dj set you know in, in that sense of like so you might play a pe song for a minute and then you might play a tina marie record for a minute you know or or something that it, when you're really in your in your head and in your in your moment you want to tap into a lot of different emotion that's what that's what pulls up together so bonics you know like tell us about your experience you were saying earlier you know that that you're you're having a hard time not necessarily maybe a hard time but you know you you're very cognizant of of what's what's happening right now and how you play that role right um you know i'm still playing hit music right so uh that's not that's what we do uh plus but with definitely a live and local attitude with live and you know with live uh with local music too and we have local music shows and uh but it's not 100% local music but you know, the power of the music, you say the right words and then you play the right song and you really make people feel and that's what music is, right? And so when you are able to choose those songs and choose those moments, especially during, um, man, when the riots were happening and it was watching the video and then watching it explode and knowing it was right down the street that cup foods, like I used to order a lot of food from, you know? So when it's right there, it's, it's pretty surreal, but uh, you know, bringing it back to the music, just having a voice on the radio. And I know uh, being able to talk about, um, to share the other voices and to be able to talk about, just talk about it and say Black Lives Matter on the radio and, and not feel like um, I'm gonna offend my boss or whatever. And we're talking about, what I like about radio, what I was saying earlier that, uh, I mean, it's more, it's available, right? So everyone has their own platform, but radio is something that's as available as TV. 
anyone with a basic radio can get it. So the message has to be a little bit wider uh, because, like I said before, we have all types of listeners. So that does make it difficult, but be able to use hip hop and to use certain songs to really um, create a feeling. I did a mix that aired 24 hours a day when we did the, you know, the Blackout Tuesday, whether we think that was a good idea or not. Um, my boss was like, hey, just make an hour mix and we'll just play it over and over and over again. And to me, the right songs weren't the Kendrick Lamar All Right. It was the Bob Marley One Love. You know what I mean? It wasn't, it was Desiree, you know, I want to be bad, I want to be bold, I want to be wiser. It wasn't. Mm. Um, something that would make people more angry because feel good joints. Yeah. Feel good joints. And I, I put in the words one time when I was on the radio that different times of the night when we DJ require different records, right? When we want the crowd to amp up when we want them to slow down when we want to, you know, maybe they're tired of hearing the same record and they got to hear something else. And I think that's kind of the power as a DJ, as we have, you know, whether you want to make that like an analogy too about vocally too, what we can do, but different, different situations and people require different records. And, um, and we can't expect everyone to, to respond in the same way or be angry at the same degree and expect them to respond the same way because some people have to still be a dad or, or they still have a family or they have to feed themselves. So I think it's just so many varying degrees of this. And, uh, you know, with the radio, especially, I'm so thankful that I can play music and joints that, you know, whether it's local music uh, and, and sprinkled through the hits and just be able to speak every day at 10 o'clock and do this thing called blessings. And I just kind of say how I feel. And it's, you know, it's not like me trying to get churchy at all because it's just to talk about how I feel. Uh, I think it's important that I talk uh, often. I remind the audience that I'm not perfect mm-hmm. um, because we have, to, I, I think that when we just show this perfect side of us and we talk on the radio and like, Hey, nothing's wrong, but here's hip music. Hey, uh, you know, I get on the radio and I say, Hey, um, I, I, I make mistakes. And so I'm saying this now. So when I do make one, we can rewind this tape um, because people are, it's hard. We, like you said, we got to take action in places that there's a perfect opportunity to speak on things that we couldn't before. Also, at the same time, different situations require different songs. So it's been interesting and also very taxing because I think I've like have, you know, big empath vibes and, you know, seeing people I respect too being like, and I'm like, yo, you probably have it way easy for, uh, you know, you you have your resources are way better than someone that just needs to feed a family you know and so it's just i I feel like man that that's why i meant when it's hard that to be business as usual knowing that there's people hurting and even people in different even people i agree with but how they're saying it um it's like seeing bringing a great dj to to be a guest dj in your night and they're just not hitting it because it's not very (laughs) proud you know you're just like but it's different. And some people will be like, oh, I love it. Some people are like, well, what are you getting back on? And that's your homie <laughs> that you respect. You know those vibes. So it's, it's this, that, that's what makes it real difficult. But being able to speak, what I'm trying to do is add a little bit, I don't want to say positivity, just a, le- a little bit of humanity on this platform. Most people think of hip-hop, especially when it's available. Again, I have to say that because not everyone is on the radio. Not everyone's on TV Everyone can have a 
a podcast or whatever, but these are available. So I feel real special to be able to have that and push a message that brings hip hop into humanity as well. We got to wait till someone dies before we have to get real on the radio. No, let's get real on the radio as much as we can push the boundaries with all respect. Cause we also people turn on music to get away from the politics. Mm-hmm. Um, totally and you're you're doing that a lot bonix also bringing in like the community on the radio having them speak which is awesome i wanted to ask a question from maria chinchilla she says hey all thanks for having this discussion i'm not a dj but i'm researching how black indigenous people of color owned or managed night spaces actually catalyzes civic participation to create change would you consider this to be true do you think black indigenous people of color were not systematically shut out from owning and managing actual spaces like nightclubs, that this situation would be different? Can I answer that? Sure. Yeah, please. I would say, at least in New York, yes. Um, um, funny enough, I was actually like um, on a, I, which never happens, but I got asked to speak to some um, independent venue owners earlier today. And um, myself is along with um, Rich Medina, who was mm. hey, oh, Rich. Papa, let people know it was um, oh, it was amazing. So, um, and then I realized, like you know, and it's funny, like somebody had just posted up, like oh, you know, I'm, I'm on Twitter, like oh, you know, I just, you know, let's have like a you know fam- favorite black owned venue space thing because I'm trying to find some, and um, you know, people were thinking about New York specifically nightlife. I'm thinking bars and um, lounges. So you know, there's a lot of rest, not a lot, but there are restaurants, you know, other um, things. But when I'm thinking about lounges and bars, particularly in Brooklyn, I can think of two, um, or yeah, two um, black owned. Um, a few that are um, um, POC owned, Latino owned. So, and the ones that I do know that are, um, um, they've been the most vocal or have been among the most vocal. Um, One is Come On Everybody, um, which is not too far from me, um, owned by um, uh, two Latino queer men. And they are, uh, that's where I get my protest information. Um, you know, they have all different types of events. Um, they, you know, they I, they put you know the owner put me on when he had another venue when he when nobody wanted to book me to do shit. So I like love them forever, but also like that's where I keep aware. And I think back in the day, and even to a degree, yeah, back in the even when it wasn't legal, when you had more nightlife spaces um, in New York available because it was just cheap and people could run those types of things and even if it was wasn't perfectly legal um those were spaces like cosmo said for people to con- to get together that was safe where people can convene to get together talk also share information um and it's it's just i don't think it's the same now i think now we're kind of um even as per, you know people who want to put on events for our types of crowds face that challenge you know our, assuming you know our types of crowds are pretty diverse generally because we I think we you know for the most part all of us spin some sort of black music so we do and we all want to bring in a diverse crowd um, so it's it can be a difficult um, situation going to um, what you know is to be a white establishment um, and try to say you know and try to basically um, use their space for your event um, I think I've never had an issue when it's been a space that's owned by a person of color. I mean, if they, yeah, I just never have. Mainly because I know, like, my crowd, um, we they drink a lot. <laughs> so it's like, we're going to bring you some money. Um, <laughs> you know, I've done, I have, you know, events under my belt. that, And I've, you know, I'm de- I've demonstrated that I can put on very well-attended events. 
um, but I've never had to really plead a case. Um, I had the, the another one that I love, Ode to Babel. Um, they, I hit them up and was like, look, I just want to, can I play some trip hop? I want to do a Portishead tribute. Like, yeah. and, and they're like, sure, yeah, you know, it's like, whatever, it's cool. Cause it's like, a, they consider themselves to be like a community space. So, you know, they, they let me, um, they let me do that. Um, I feel like I can, I've never really, even if I've had good relationships with white owned venues, generally I cannot, I, there's just not that situation. It's a matter of like money, it's a matter of like, oh, well, prove your case or you do, and which I, you know, I, I don't have a problem doing, I'm very professional. We have marketing decks, we have all of the, these things, but it's not, you know, for nightlife, when you're thinking about it being like a way to share, a way to build, a way of having community, you are in a neighborhood that comprises of certain people that you should want to attract. You shouldn't be expecting people to be coming from um, other neighborhoods to come. But I think a lot of those spaces do because a lot of them are in areas that are um gentrifying mm. you know so it's like okay they don't they want people to come but they don't necessarily want the dude down the corner down the street to come um or that you know they'll tolerate those people um but generally they want to bring their friends they want to bring the new people who've moved into the neighborhood they don't want the old heads which is stupid because <laughs> they drink too um I do think that um, a definitely like seeing a reduction because I, you know, when I first started going out um, partying in New York City, there were way more black owned venues, way more. Um, and it was just a lot like you could go from spot to spot. DeKalb Avenue um, in Fort Greene was like legit a strip. Like we used to just, and they were not clubs, they were just lounges with really good DJs. So we had Madiba, which was like um, South African spot which closed a few years ago which was like very tragic across the street there was another one called buttercup um people like smith worked there tiambe worked there like my friends this really famous artist she worked there like it's you know you think about that's like when um nelson george talks about brooklyn bohem that's that neighborhood that's that area um there was a place soul and djs like we should just go walk down the street and go from spot to spot to spot and it that doesn't exist in new york anymore um, everything is very much like, you know, APT, even if that wasn't your, sh I had no idea what music, who was there, you know, except for, I would know Wednesday nights was Rich Medina, but any other night I'd roll up in there, didn't know what was it, but you know, I was like, I'm going to have a good time. I don't know what the fucking music is, but I know it's going to be diverse and I know it's going to be a good time because they had diverse staff. They had diverse DJs. They just, um, they got it. And they were mainly, they were about cultivating a culture and a community um, even if it, I have no idea, I've never met the owners, maybe they were just about the dollar, but they managed to do it in a way that, you know, made you feel like they were really more about the music and the culture, which to me was, that's how I felt. Um, and we don't have those types of spaces anymore. And places, people that do try to cultivate them in New York, it's difficult because they have a bottom line. Rent's fucking high. Mm -hmm. same, same here in Chicago, too. I mean... For me personally, uh, prior to you know uh, quarantine, like the the two bars that I mainly DJed at were managed by black person and someone who's Latinx. So and to, and to be real with you, like I, I've I felt more inclined to DJ how I wanted to at these spots because they were just you know as open and they were they were more welcoming. And that's not to say that there's like white owners out there that, you know, don't do that either. But ultimately, for my, my personal experience, majority, majority of the, the spots that I feel generally comfortable at are owned by people of color. Well, and what 
I think what that usually translates to is you're going to find more people of color that are actually passionate about doing it as opposed to a lot of white owners are doing it because it's a cool thing or they're, they've got investors and like, I'm a banker by day and hey, I own a nightclub at night. <laughs> I take my girls there. That's the mentality of a lot of a it's lot a place of places. to park your investments. Yeah, like, oh, look, look, I'm going to bring I'm going to bring all my guys from business school here and we're going to party it up. And it's a club that I own and it's a haha, you know, and where, you know, Tara, what you were saying earlier and Cosmo, you were talking about as well is like, um, you know, for me, when I did my first parties, when I was 19, 20 years old and trying to convince a club owner to give me a spot, it was always going to the gay clubs. It was always going, they were always the most open. You said the same thing. I think what's, you know, we've all been, I think, and a lot of us have been caught up in, you know, we're all DJs and in the DJ culture. So we are, we're seeing it through the lens, this whole movement, a lot of it through the lens of a lot of our peers and a lot of the people that we communicate with. And it's, I think it's somewhat been lost um, in this movement to a degree and not understanding of how much contribution the queer, this movement has given to dance music, to music, to DJing. I mean, people don't re- really realize that before the the gay culture came about in New York City, across all of America, you could not be on a dance floor unless you were a man and a woman like this. And it, it could, and it was everywhere. You would go into any what they would call a cabaret or nightclub, and you could not step foot on a dance floor unless you had a partner that was of the opposite sex. And it was it was gay men and gay women that said no more of that. Mel Sharon was talking about it in his documentary, um, and and and, and the, just that in itself. When people we all say like, oh man, you know you can't play this music because if if you don't understand it, you can't be a racist and play the music that you're 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 a vulture from that but also the gay the gay culture has given so much of what we love and do to us and i i think we're finally starting to see that come to light um and and it's 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 very i think exciting to to feel that it's not just you know one sector of racism or or bigotry that we're trying to tackle right now it's it's all of it it's you're either in or you're out and it's it's all or nothing and you know I, I i love to hear um you know you guys like cosmo you've got so much knowledge on on just the history and the culture of music and and you know spreading that to <laughs> spreading that to people is important because i think a lot of people don't don't realize how much of yeah what can you they break love. it down sorry to cut you off chris cosmo no, you good. said it so well before we started the live recording and did the broadcast the the generational points in which music was the guiding factor for social change especially within the queer community can you run through that real quick for some of our listeners or younger djs who might not yeah, know cool. but also like you can kind of take a take a step back and you can kind of look at, at the struggle right you know because it's like this big amalgamation of the struggle right struggle going back generations and generations and generations, centuries, you know, it always had music as an accompaniment, you know, and there was always uh, art and creation, which ran concurrent with struggle, right? And if you go back to, you know, we're talking about in the, in the early 20th century, uh, what we were talking about uh, earlier in this conversation of joy being an act of resistance, you know, look at you know, what happened with, uh, with the Harlem Renaissance, you know, and, you know, economic empowerment for black folk in the United States coming off the tail end of reconstruction, right? Um, you know, lest we talk about the Greenwood, 
um, go throughout the 50s and the 60s with protest music, folk music, uh, politically charged soul music into rock and roll, into funk and all that stuff. And when, uh, you know, all it, so they all, and there was, it, it was, it's all kind of, it's all intertwined. Um, but specifically talking about uh, in the, in the gay community, in the queer community, right? Like, so you had, you, you were talking about, they had these cabaret laws where, you know, you could, a man couldn't dance with another man, couldn't even be on the, on the same dance floor, right? You know, and that's, that's the story of Stonewall. You know, the NYPD came in in 1969 to raid a cabaret, raid a bar, and the folks decided they didn't want to take it anymore. They didn't want to be under the thumb of an oppressive system and people. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, yeah, and then I was also talking about uh, with the loft. You know, I mean, obviously that that's uh, you know a whole different thing that kind of created a, a you know its, its own community. But you know, I mean, the, th- the thing about it is that at, at the end of the day, um, you know, the artistic community has always kind of run alongside uh, uh, the activist community and people who have been pushing for change. Um, so that's why it's really important for us as artists and as creatives to kind of understand that, that we also do play a role in this, you know, uh, the idea of being able to use your position to either shed a light or to speak up or speak loud or to try to create some sort of change and act some sort of change that we all have a responsibility, you know? especially people who are not black folks operating within a, a space yeah. which is a black space you know yeah. you're a visitor here yeah. you know so you can't be cherry picking in that regard and I understand like like the talking about bonics I mean like, you had a really good point like you know you terrestrial radio is a really important thing terrestrial radio is universally uh, accessible right you know and you know you are in a you are in a powerful position you know, but I also do understand, I hear in your voice and I hear in your words when you talk to me and you, so you talk to us and you say, you know, it's difficult, it's difficult for me. Because as you said, there, how are you gonna figure out the balance of, okay, I want to make sure that I get my message out loud and clear, right. and make it actually the, the proper message, but then you got to take care of your kids and feed your, you know, feed your family, right? So I get it, you know. I think that there's, you know, there's many different roles for for everyone, you know. And those roles can change over time. Exactly. Right. But it's a really important thing to understand that, that, you know, this is this is something which goes back 450, 500 years, you know. Well, just in this country, but just in this country. Yeah. Right. Also, I'm sorry, I just wanted to say, since we were talking about like history, um, I know that there, you know, I think most of us would probably agree there are not that many um, books that kind of just talk about like nightlife, um, DJing, but I have this book. (laughs) That book is sitting on my nightstand right Um, now. I love that book. I know. Honestly, if you are a DJ or you want to be or you just love nightlife culture, last night a DJ saved my life, the history of a disc jockey. 
one of my favorite books. I think I, I read this before I really started DJing, but you really get a lot of understanding and context. Um, and this goes back to, and it's not just specific to um, any one region. They go all over the world and talk about Northern Soul in the UK. They talk Fantastic. about like, the origins of DJing from when people just dropped a needle on a record, no mixer, no um, yeah. anything. Um, I love this book. And then also, I'm, I haven't finished it, um, but this is a book about um, basically like five years in the 1970s called Love Goes to Buildings on Fire. Um, it's just like a very um, tight period of New York. And they just talk about all the different kinds of scenes and um, spaces that kind of came up in New York from like rock and punk to hip hop and like what, or the beginnings of hip hop rather, and like how um, that really impacted and how that came up in a time when New York, I mean, I wasn't alive, I'm not that old, but I wasn't alive and um, how, you know, yeah, just how like um, really tumultuous New York was. New York was on the verge of bankruptcy, all of these things. Um, it's, it sounds rather exciting, but um, I'm sure it was like, you know, my parents emigrated here in the 70s. I don't think it was fun for them, um, <laughs> like, on top of it all. But um, a lot of great things obviously come from, um, unfortunately, struggle and, and um, dire situations. Um, so, you know, there's context. And I do think a lot of people, without understanding that, especially people who you, if you don't live in a major city, if you don't come from a space that are under, to be able to understand what, why this music is, the way it is, um, it's really important for you to, to educate yourself. Absolutely. You know, there's nothing wrong about, nothing wrong with reading a book. Um, and these are great books. Like they're yeah, not. That is a really they're, they're Thank you so much Absolutely. for sharing those, Tara. Not boring, boring books. You know? Spe- speaking of books, I saw on the news um, maybe yesterday that um, pro-slave books that were written, um, you know, all of them that have been written and been published that were out have been flying off the shelves, not in stock. I guess people are buying these things. What do you What do you guys think about that? Um, just in a general. Real quick, um, to, uh, along that line, um, there's this prominent idea of the How to Make a Slave by Willie Lynch as like the blueprint that was to create like the the structure of how to how to dehumanize a person and make them a servant and just over the course of my life that was a thing that was quoted all the time apparently willie lynch or there's some level of uh disproving that that was a thing that actually took place however learning that the story behind willie lynch in the book one or the other is not a real thing that existed there is a void there that's being filled with people filled by people who want that to be a thing so I don't know about, well, I guess, any of these books that are being bought now, but I'm very interested to hear another perspective from outside of my understanding of it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why those books are. I'm, I'm sure it's probably to counter a lot of the anti-racist books that have been um, selling over the past few weeks. Um, a lot, like if you look at the New York Times bestseller list, there are a lot of art, um, books written by, if not black writers, um, by writers who have um, specifically writ- written, written about like anti-racism. So I'm sure that's just a response to it. I don't think, you know, maybe people are, I, honestly, I don't know if on either side, if people are reading them, I hope the ones who buy the anti-racism books are reading them. But I do think it's more of like a demonstration. Um, yeah. I, just like when people, you know, they, like the guys burned up their Nikes, like why would you destroy your own property? Fine. Yeah. Um, dumb like i think it's just that and i also do think honestly i mean it's it's me at this point again in my many 41 years of life um 
it's a, to me, I, I, it's a, it's a sickness. It's a sickness. Um, I can't figure out any other way. I do, you know, you spend a lot of time trying to understand why people act the way they do. Um, I do think it's a sickness. I think racism and capitalism and systematic oppression does, does things to our mental capabilities. Um, for others, you know, so for some it manifests in addiction, depression, things of that sort. But I think for others, especially those who um, feel a sense or a lack of identity, a lack of belonging, who want to belong to something, even if it's something detrimental, like white supremacy, they, it's, it manifests in that way too. So, um, you know, I think it's, we, we find it to be very surprising, but I'm not surprised because I do think that the way that this country is set up is failed people in so many different ways. You would like to think that we'd all fall to the idea of revolting and just trying to, you know, remove these systems, but people really default to wanting to hold on to them because they feel they just, they just haven't had the opportunity to, to, to prosper from it yet. Um, and there's a familiarity there, of course. Mm-hmm. But it's, yes. it, it have us, it's the characteristic. The system is designed to have us keep on going for that carrot. Mm. Um, knowing that we're not, we'll never get that. Um, but you're absolutely right, a, a, about it being a sickness, and it's a sickness that perpetuates itself as well. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. We have one more. Oh, sorry, Cosmo. Real quick, Cosmo, you had a book uh, you held up in your hand. Do we have a third book recommendation oh, yeah, for the yeah, audience? Yeah, yeah, yes, I, please. I, I both those books that Tara brought up are great, and then I wanted to bring this, one, which is Love Saves the Day, which is a history of American dance music culture, 1970 to 1979. Oh. By Tim <laughs> this is one of those books that I probably owned a dozen copies. And whenever I mentioned it to a friend of mine, oh, you haven't read it? I just give him my copy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so, what happened to this one. I had to, I was like, I yeah, thought. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was it. So I it, it also <laughs> talks, uh, 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 talks about, um, uh, you know, nightlife culture across the spectrum in New York from 70 to 79, but it puts it in context with the socioeconomic uh, 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 scenario of what the city was like. Leading up to it, the decades leading up to it, and, um, and what New York was in uh, in the seventies. Also, can you guys hear me okay? Because I saw in the chat that you guys I was a little low. A little bit. Yeah, you're a little low. You're a little. I lower, think there's the auto game that's happening inside of Zoom, so that's not not your fault. If you uh, check the audio settings, I can show you how to do it in the chat okay. real quick. But we can keep it moving with uh, the next question. All right, cool, cool, cool. I'll awesome. check as well. Yes, right? for Jeff. <laughs> yeah. We have last night. Hey, my life. With the song and Love Saves the Day, A History of American Dance Music, two good book recommendations for everyone that's listening um, and couldn't actually see the books. We have one more question from the uh, chat uh, from Thomas Jasmine. How do you handle silence from those in your DJ network, whether it be from uh, the establishments that you work with or the DJs you call friends? She says, well, I try, sorry, he says, well, I try to fight back and inform those with, within our community. There are many popular local DJs who remain silent or blatantly post against BLM, lacking compassion, knowledge, and a sense of history. Shanjay, you're actually talking about this earlier as well, a little bit. Yeah, man, that's, that's, hmm, there's a lot in there. Um, I think before I like dive in with a, fully transparent answer i want to before, say before you dive in okay, uh, go thank, for it. thank you once again or to our associate producer adrian uh we'll see you catch you at the end of the show and thank you everybody for asking those questions
Simple answer. If you don't know the secret handshake, then I am fucking with you. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, real quick. Can you hear me better now? Yes. Yeah, there we go. There you go. There you go. Cool. Get it to it. All right. So as, as far as this perspective, I've, I've, I wanted to make sure there's a there's plenty of space for everybody to speak on this before I got into my own stuff. Um, and this kind of a le- leads into what we were talking about before the previous question about as an artist, where's the line between being creative and really trying to do something with the platform that we have as a DJ to say a message that's going to bring people together overall. I've spent a lot of my, I've been DJing for 13 years now, and there was definitely a point when I started getting into the club space where it was very obvious to me because of the time period that there's that separation in the crowd. There, there was like less and less people that looked like me, less and less black DJs of my age group that were able to survive in the club world. I live in Baltimore city and it was coming up and back between Baltimore and DC. And then more and more, it was, I would get those questions of like, Hey, can you avoid playing hip hop? Hey, can you uh, cater to the bottle to the, to the table service crowd? Hey, can you do this and that? There are these little things where I would realize over the time, like they're saying this to me because I'm black because my friends that I have these conversations with locally and work at the same places are not getting the same questions from the owners, from the bar staff, the management, whatever. So I took a long, long time to figure out how I wanted to approach that. Um, it's important to me to make sure that I use my voice where it's necessary and where it has an impact. However, we've spent the last 13 years that I've been a DJ being told you play the music. Someone else's job is to be the politician. So I had a very fine line in the sand and creatively it was kind of stifling. So I stopped over time taking gigs at high playing place, high paying places specifically because I realized if I'm financially reliant on this structure of nightlife, of bottle service, then I have to do whatever it is that they say. And as a result of that, my social circle started to change. And it's still changing to this day. But to get to the current question about those people that stay silent, right now I'm at this point in my career where there's a very fine line, like I said before, in the sand. There's people who don't want to lose their opportunities because they're still completely and consumed by this world where if you say the wrong thing, you lose the gig. And then there goes that 400, 500, whatever dollars that you made, would have made on Saturday night. And you don't have another spot to get that money from. So you stay silent. The more you diversify your income as a DJ or just a business owner in general, the less you have to worry about one little thing, one little needle toppling the entire tower down. So I try to lean on the places that represent something that is community building, that is positive in the lights of marginalized communities. Um, There's a place here in Baltimore called The Crown, which is like the grimy place where there's asbestos in the walls, but it's a sweat box and everybody loves it. And they have like the best queer night anywhere you're going to find in this region. It's it's. Man, so it's like, it's one of those places where like the people who are the most marginalized get drawn to that. I want to play other places like that because they don't have the big budgets, but they're open and accepting and inclusive of everyone. Like so the awesome. people that are staying silent because they want to get the big check and they don't want to lose the big check, they stay on the other side and I stay on my side. However, there are moments just like being on this podcast where week number 10 of this that me taking that position and saying like, all right, I'm just going to talk when it's important. No, I'm very much trying to talk now that there's people that look up to me and I'm nobody in the grand scheme of our, our, our industry. There's people that look up to me and they're looking to me to say something. So it's becoming more and more important to say, Hey, 
as a black man that's in the nightlife industry, there's a lot of fucked up stuff. Sorry, mom and dad, I know you're listening. That's happening and will continue to happen. So for me to be complicit to that is not okay anymore. Also, um, as an artist, as an entertainer, our job is to entertain people and bring them together. That gives an opportunity for this dialogue. So it has to be done in a way that's allowing some of that inclusive space the same way you'd have at like the good music spot, the, the weird dive bar with the sweat on the walls. But you also have to diversify your income and able to be able to have that kind of flexibility. I lean on private events more than I lean on clubs. I just started basically a Patreon page on my website so I can have more streams of income coming in and not have to worry about when are the clubs going to open back up. I don't want to have to rely on the people who are holding my people back because that is a thing that I would need to do to keep the rent paid. Amen to that, Sean, for real. That, that's, that's honestly like, that's honestly the realest thing, if not, if not the most sobering thing you should say to DJs currently, because I mean, a lot of, a lot of them are struggling with just trying to figure out how to main, you know, you know, make money like streaming and even the DMCA is like starting to like, you know, take down, you know, those streams as well. So it's just like, where do we go from here? Uh, but yeah, I mean, to your point though, I mean, yeah, like you, you, you want to, you know, you want to diversify, you want to just find more inclusion in whatever you do, because ultimately if you surround, if you surround yourself with these, you know, these clubs that are perpetuating the, the BS, it's just like, you're kind of perpetuating it too. Yes. So, you know, I, honestly, to, to those who are not like, to, you know, to you, anybody's like DJ, like to any of your friends who are DJing currently or like, who are like, like tied to these spots, like you should just have an honest conversation with them and just see where they stand on it. Uh, you, you shouldn't attack them because ultimately at the end of the day, you're right. Like they, you know, there was a fine line between politics and DJing, but now, I mean, I mean, to uh, Tara's point, like everything is inherently political no, no matter where you stand on it. So you, you want to just approach any DJ that you, you know, you're, you're friends with just with love and just see like, yo, where do you stand on this? Like, are you not going to say anything? I mean, I, I know you want to, you know, maintain this check, but they're on some BS. Like, I mean, like now, I mean, because at the end of the day, I mean, if, if enough word gets out about these spots, like that's going to affect that club's wallet and which in turn is going to affect the DJ's wallet because they're not getting paid too. And I, I mean, that's kind of what I'm personally pushing for is like that kind of reform. Like if, if, if these clubs don't, you know, change up, like then, you know, these people are going to change out. Basically, they're going to get out of this plots. They're not going to mess with them knowing that you're, you're on some BS like that. So, oh, and, and just like you said, you know, guilty by association, even if you're like, you know, well, I don't really believe that way, but you're taking the money from a place like that. You, it's a, it's a very short sighted way to to handle your long-term career if you're trying to yeah. do this for a long time is, you know, you could say, well, this plot spot pays you really good. I'm going to stay there and get yourself alienated throughout your city. If, because if, if they go down, you're going down with them. Just like they, just like Eddie Murphy said, you go, if I go down, you go down. Dick you're going down too. <laughs> I think it's okay to just make new friends too. Like I think if your <laughs> friends are going to be silent on this issue, they're essentially saying that, I mean, I don't know how to say this nicely, but they're essentially saying that they're not like seeing the validity of your life. And I think it's okay to oh, just alchemist. They stand <laughs> with the oppressor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like to an ex like, I, I think it's good to speak up and I think it's good to do you. And I think you got to go play the parties that are you. And I think artists said something earlier about like, you know, 
you get tired of selling your soul. Like you just, you have to do what's right for you. And if that means you have to leave some people behind, I think that's okay. Like you're not going to be able to save everybody. And if some people, you know, want to stay mute or they want to like actively speak out against Black Lives Matter, which makes zero sense to me, like, you know, you do what you do to try to show them the light, but there's only so much you can do, right? And then sometimes you just got to cut these people off and like, they're going to be on the wrong side of history when this is all over. They got to do the work for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And there's like a million, trillion, billion resources out there for them to do the work for themselves. And like, you know, if they have, if people, everybody like lives on Instagram and if you haven't found a reading list by now, like you're <laughs> fucking asleep, you know what I mean? Like, what are you doing? Like, because a lot of this music, it's like you, it's people are, you think that it's like made up. You think people are making stories like when they sing about what they sing, you mm-hmm. think when hip hop was originated, they were talking about what the, you thought the, like, was the message a fake song? Like, he just made it up in his head, this whole, like, street, you know, this street drama. Oh, this is what motherfuckers saw on the street. must have been high. And they're, yeah, they, but this is, no, it's like, people really think that it's made up. It is not made up. And it's, I do think that a lot of people in this world, a lot of white people in America have deluded themselves and they don't believe that this type of America exists because they don't see it, but that's exactly the point. And yeah. to be like listening to this music and you think you're being such a badass and you think you're being like very, um, you know, like, oh, um, this is this is like, like, ooh, like this is the, you know, this is some dirt, like bad, these are bad things that I'm doing by listening to this music. It's, it's ridiculous to me because this is what people are actually living. They're like, gaslighting they, themselves. They are, they are. Yeah. They, Technology they, has been always prevalent, you know? This is something that, well, they, you know, they, it's because of them, they brought it on themselves. And, but again, they don't know the history of the country in which they live because they're not taught that in schools. A lot of the things that we, you know, and that kind of what, that is what a lot people kind of talk about how, you know, like school me, I don't know, school me. I'm like, well, I had to school myself. I had to learn because I had to figure my, like, how do I'm, how am I going to move in my, in this world? Cause I am a black woman, clearly ain't nobody out here trying to help me. I need to learn about how this all came to be so I can understand how to dismantle this. Um, and if you're not in that position where you have to do that, you're not going to do it. But now I think people, re- you know, so I think that's why people feel like they need to be spoon fed the knowledge. It's like, no, I did not come out of my mom fucking knowing lift every voice and sing i didn't like i and also (laughs) also like i'm not i i did i while i i am a black woman in 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 this country i i was raised by immigrants so they also had to learn Mm. you know they came from haiti we didn't you know another very you know original revolutionary the revolutionary country the original revolution who actually did again Fun facts and for Tier, who helped um, the Battle of Savannah, Haitian slaves fought for American independence. Um, and people don't know that. Um, so I don't, you know, it's, it's, again, this is, these are not things I didn't, again, did not come out of my mom knowing that. Um, did not even know that as a teenager. I learned that in 2007 when Savannah, Georgia unveiled a monument to honor those slaves who fought for American independence. So it's, it's, you know, I I think people don't, don't feel like they have to learn um, and they'll have to be aware because they have, they like their little bubble. They like the world in which they live. And when they see that crumbling again, some people are down like, Oh shit, like maybe I need to wake up. And other people are, you know, they want to further um, retreat within themselves. And it's, they have to realize that, 
that's not the case. And again, if you know, the people that the music that you're playing is speaking to you and is there to educate you to understand, you know, rappers, I've learned, I learned about COINTELPRO from music I listened to. I learned about the Black Panthers from me. I learned from Paris, listening to Paris, what's this? I don't, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, growing up, I'm a child and also like, that's not something, you know, my parents came to this country around this time, but they weren't necessarily aware of that either because they were dealing with their own challenges coming in um, as foreigners. So this isn't anything that any of us that didn't have to go through and didn't have to learn for ourselves. But I think some of us just had to out of survival. And, you know, it's coming more apparent that you're, all of us are going to have to learn that out of survival because this is eventually going to impact all of us. Um, and I think those people who are remaining silent, um, you can have your opinion on things. I don't necessarily agree. I don't think we're all going to be on the right side of history here, but you have to understand the history. So you could really make a, a valuable, a valid decision for yourself. If you want to be, main, you know, uphold white supremacy, you've read all the texts, whatever. Okay, okay I don't know. <laughs> if that's what you came to, great. But a lot of people are just incredibly ignorant um, and only rely on one source for their news. I don't do that. Um, and then also there are books. Um, which Libraries are still thoroughly, a thoroughly checked. Libraries are free. A lot of books online. A lot of books mm-hmm. you can download. Not that you should do that. You should make sure pay, make sure writers get paid, but I'm saying if you don't have money, but also libraries are free and you can get a Kindle for like books for free um, yep. that you can on your laptop or your device. So there's not really an excuse at this point. Um, you can start with anything. And again, like people, somebody said, like on social media, people are distributing lists left and right. Um, mm-hmm. One book, start with one thing, um, you'll learn. You know, you know I think that um, it's a good thing that a lot of people are feeling uncomfortable right now. Mm-hmm. That, that, that uncomfortable place is a place where they're going to be able to grow right now like I, I agree and disagree with, with, uh, with some of what Tara was saying in the sense of like okay like yeah you're choosing white supremacy yeah okay cool you know <laughs> you know it reminds me of the, the Baldwin quote you know like you're allowed to have your opinion Everybody's allowed, I'm gonna paraphrase it like I'm gonna mangle it, right? But paraphrasing James Baldwin, you have your right to your opinion unless your opinion uh, unless your opinion is different than mine or something like that. Of my humanity or something. Unless your your opinion is is the devil against (laughs) my basic human rights or existence. Thank you, thank you. I can't just come up with Baldwin out of my head. I only got one Baldwin quote off top, so yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so the point as to like kind of the original question is just like, how do you deal with the silence of people? You know, it's difficult because, you know, personally, at least within like my close network, like I, I know that everybody that I kind of roll with, everybody is, is pretty much on, on volume 10, same way that I am, you know. Uh, and I've been this way for, I guess, my entire fucking life. You know, it just may be a little bit exacerbated at this point right now. Um, but uh, I think also think that a lot of people are kind of like, I don't know what the, the, the they're afraid of, of compromising their brand, you know, or like whatever the, the, the impetus of why they don't want to actually be vocal, you know, and... I've- and I'm like, fuck your brand, you know? 
Yeah, I, yeah, found, I found more irony in the in the ones that feel like they have to give a three page dissertation of how they how they think about all this stuff. It's like I'm going to say that I'm for Black Lives Matter, but I don't want to piss off any of the white people too that I'm I'm working for that I'm making too much of a political stance. So they go through this incredibly long explanation of their life when it's just pretty simple. <laughs> you can just state it right here. You know, it, it takes like one people in the back. Yeah, yeah, I mean, for real, it's it's, it's wild. It's, it's wild. It's wildly performative. Is what it is. You know what I'm saying? And and to me, that shit is transparent. You know, absolutely. Um, you know, I think too. When, oh, go sorry. No, no, it's all good. Please go ahead. I was going to say, I, th- I think, too, when people are new to a movement and they're just kind of beginning to learn, uh, I guess, the truth about life, it's like they realize they've had, like, their whole life to – they've been wrong their entire life, so they have to make up for all this lost time. So sometimes you see people come in, like, in full blast, you know, like, just – you know, constantly posting on Instagram or whatever, or like sending out videos and they're, and they're like over, almost like overcompensating for the fact that they are like a little bit late to the party, you know? Um, yeah, I feel it. And it's, you know, I'm like, well, it's good that you're, you're finally here, but like, Thanks for showing you know, up. Maybe, yeah. yeah, maybe channel that energy into something, you know, besides Instagram, oh, you know, because then I'm kind of like, are you doing it just for the likes? Or are you doing it like, because you actually care because you it's actually fashionable now? Yeah, and it's like, I think it says a lot, like if you're willing to stand up when it's not trendy, I think right. that's more important and more valuable, honestly. You know, and you know, we also, in our society, we're ingrained in all these American, great American cliches, like can't teach an old dog new tricks, you know, which actually is from like the 1500s from European establishment and in old plays, but it, it was it was basically the 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 white male dominance over all society has just perpetuated into things like that where it's like you know so so people start to already ingrain in their head well you know i guess because i'm old i just can't change this is the way i am and and you know i think what's beautiful about most of us as djs is we're constantly trying to grow in our craft we're constantly trying to get better at our art we're constantly trying to learn and study new music or or find new skills and techniques and you can apply that to your to your life in the same way it's you know uh, it's it's some you know pride is a very tricky slope because we look at things we say pride we say gay pride or we say if in sports our our team pride or if there's a you know, some crazy thing that happens in, in a city where like Boston proud or whatever, but pride is also the greatest leader to deception and, and to our, and to our downfalls as individuals. Collectively, pride is beautiful, but in, in an individuality, pride will destroy, pride makes somebody not want to change their opinion. Pride makes somebody say, well, I've gone this far down the rabbit hole with pr- the president that I'm not, I'm too proud to, to move over and, and let people know that actually, you know what, maybe I was wrong. Like pride will keep you from, from, from admitting your faults or being vulnerable or, or expressing humility, which, you know, those are the things that we need to all be focused, focused on right now is, is our, like, like Bonick said, we're not perfect. None of us are perfect. None of us have lived perfect lives. None of us will live perfect lives. If you only want to surround yourself with perfection, you're going to be alone. 
Perfection doesn't exist. I don't know. I just love the colors of the Confederate flag. Ad-Rock said a really good <laughs> quote. <laughs> I don't know. Keep it around. And the times change. So the things like, that we thought were right when we were younger are wrong. Absolutely. Like, right. Of like when you go back and watch a TV show from the 80s or 90s, you're like, oh, shit. Like, they got it wrong. Yeah, yeah. Ad Rock and the Beastie Boys documentary <laughs> said. Like Zach is a like low key like there was an episode with like subliminal messages he could try to trick Kelly to like have sex with him. I'm like you are a rapist a little bit. Like this is rapist. This is cool. Zach is trash. You know, but they have that whole Zach Morris is problematic guy. Like dissects. Have you ever seen that show? Yeah, like, Zach Morris is trash on do on Death on Your Diet. It's great. Like, that's what it is. It's funny, but you know when you're a little kid watching it, you don't know that. And there's nothing right. you know. I don't fault myself or fault even like the show or how it was written. It's just that we all, that's what we all thought at the time was all right. Like we didn't think that there was anything wrong with that. And then as times, you know, grow, progress, you meet more people, people start to speak out more because a lot of times people, you know, I'm sure people back then thought it was wrong, but you know, nobody was listening, but also we were like little kids. So who's telling us as a little kid, like, no, this is bad. Like he's absolutely advantage of this young girl. Like, I don't know. He's just, just, it looks cute. Oh, he likes her. You know, it's so, it's you know we have to be able like as um people especially as we're getting older to be um open (laughs) open to new ideas and thoughts because we grew up in a yeah we grew i grew up in a different time than now you know a 16 year old now is going to school me on shit because i you know i i accepted things or i didn't know any better and now they they're they're growing up in a different world and they're able to tell us things so i i one of those things i fear is that i i get I don't want to get old, so old that I don't keep myself open to learning more. And I think as stylist Chris said, like is, as a DJ, I feel like that's kind of what keeps me, um, or as a music lover too, keeps me kind of aware um, and wanting to be open because I do know that there's a, another world out there and the world's changing around me and I need to keep, and I want to keep up. Um, it's important, but you know, that no, none of us are perfect. And even if we were again, it, the, the world moves fast. So you can't keep up. Yep. And to to that point, uh, my favorite quote from the Beastie Boys documentary, Ad-Rock said something to the effect of, I'd rather be a hypocrite than the same person forever. Mm. Oh, that's good. I thought. (laughs) So, I mean, we're all, we're all gonna, I mean, as long as you're relatively open-minded, you're going to learn that you're going to learn new things. Yep. And, you know, every time you look at your past, you know, what you, what you thought was right was, isn't, you know, probably wasn't right. So. Exactly. I mean, you, you just have to be willing to let that go. So. That's why I let go of those nightclubs. <laughs> that's why I let. That's why I let. I mean, that's why I started like you know, trying to do what Cosmo does, like play play at these more diverse spots, like just do more things that are like you know where people are on the same wavelength overall. And but uh, that's not to say that like you know, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I'd rather I just rather you know grow than not. You know, so simple as that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you have to like craft. You know, and again, like as Sean Jay said, like the more you diversify where you're getting your money from and building, um, I, the less beholden you are to having to like um, adhere to things that just don't fit your philosophy. Um, then, you know, certain venues, things like that. You know, again, I, 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 because I have a day job, I'm, I have the fortunate, I'm fortunate that I, I do have that ability. Um, I know a lot of DJs don't. Um, so I don't necessarily fault them. I understand like, for, you know, when I hear I'm like, damn, like you DJ in there, but it's like, well, damn, you got to make your money. So like, I'm not going to fault you. Um, Cause I know, Absolutely. you know, it's, you know, I think we all, we've all done that. Um, we've all had to kind of do that, you know, separate, you know, compromise, or you think you're going to do a certain type of thing. And then you walk in, you're like, oh, this isn't what I bargained for, but you're here. You're going to do it because of the, you know, 
Um, those same effects. You have to like, part of like, also like crafting your career and you're developing yourself is really like understanding um, yourself. And part of understanding yourself is understanding your values and understanding that those, it's really ultimately all you have and you have to really be true to yourself in order to um, advance. It's all you have is your life. You don't have these clubs, you don't have this, you know, the social media following, like all of that is not forever, but you ultimately have like what you, and what you feel in your heart and you really have to follow that. Absolutely. And we're, we're also seeing just, just what you said, just in terms of the pandemic. So we, we still have a pandemic going on here and people are, you know, some people are, you know, going back to work. Some DJs are choosing to go back to work and, and, in, the, in that same instance of choosing a, to just work or work at a club that doesn't mit, fit with your ideals, it's, you know, guys are choosing to, you know, they have to go back to work if that's how they make money. It's hard for us to judge them if that if that's how they feed a family or, you know, they're, they're, just like you were saying before, being hungry is something a lot of us take crazy for granted in this Absolutely. country. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the, the things that, you know, at, at least for me, you know, giving thanks to the most high every time I put food in my mouth is important because it's like, man, like you, we don't want to know what it's like to be hungry. You know, that, that's a, that's a, a very, it just what it does to your body, what it does to your mind, what, you know, and that's why it's, I think it's also important to fast sometimes. Fasting is important because it, it puts us in tune with that, that side of, you know, going without like depriving yourself of, of what, it comes so naturally for us and, and wasteful to us at the same time, you know? Uh, for me, that's part of when I was, when I was, I mean, I, I still care about affordable housing, but when I was working in affordable housing, you start to realize like how much of a blessing it is to just be able to put your head down in a pillow and like feel safe. Granted, you know, with police brutality, we know that there have been numerous instances of people getting murdered in their own homes, but like hmm. generally at least like, I have a place to less to rape, to lay my head. Um, I think about that young woman in Florida, Toyin Salau, who was murdered, um, and how she didn't even have. A, you know, this woman was out in the streets fighting for Black lives, all Black lives, the lives of Black women, trans women, um, Black men, Black, you know, trans men, and and didn't even have a place to rest her head, and that unfortunately contributed to you know um, being vulnerable and vulnerable populations. You are more you know, subject to violence, more vulnerable to violence, unfortunately. And unfortunately, we lost um, someone who could have been a tremendous leader. Um, and I don't take that for granted. Um, that, what, that to me hurt me the most hearing her story was that she just, all she was just trying to do is find a place to rest so she can go back out in the street, you know, to, to protest again, to fight again. And she couldn't even, she didn't even have that luxury, you know, for us, it's like, you know, like she considered that a luxury and that's something for me, you know, it's, a, it's something that I fortunately have, but it's just, you know, people don't have that. Um, and that's part of like what, what like drives me and, and does, it makes me not, like feel that I can't not do anything um, when there are people who just don't, you know, who don't have these things and are still out here. Um, you know, it's a matter of, it's not a matter of like how educated you are or, you know, like with the whole going back to the Cole shit and he's like, I don't read, you know, I didn't read a book and I'm not real. I'm like, first of all, you have a college degree and she doesn't, but anyway, um, so that doesn't make sense to me, but you know, even still there are people who know right from wrong. You don't need to go to school for that. You don't even need to read a book for that. And there are people who have hit the streets because they know this shit's fucked up. So that's not really an excuse to me. 
Um, but, you know, so if we're, if they're going to be out there, then we got to be out there too. Hey, with and, some and if you can't be out there, you got to be like spreading the word. You got to be like buying, you know, supporting them by making sure, you know, putting money in these organizations pockets that support them. Um, you know, cause again, it's, again, we're in a pandemic. I have elderly parents. I've been going to some marches if I can like provide, find a distance cause I have to take mm-hmm. care of them. I go with my bike, which helps, but you know, if I can't be out in the streets, it's like, I'm going to donate money or I'm going to share, spread the word, or I'm going to, you know, you know, make sure, you know, somebody I know if they're, you know, going distributing, they want, oh, I'm going to go to the protests and distribute food and water. I'm going to give them money to help support that. So you don't, any way that you have, any means that you have, it's, that's really what it boils down to. Um, yeah. and that's another reason why, so I'm hoping those people that this person mentioned that stay, that, you know, they might be, sit, hopefully they're not really staying silent. They may be staying silent about what they're doing, but they're hopefully doing something. Um, but yeah, definitely, just- definitely everything that Tara said, man, it's, it's, it's definitely important. Uh, unfortunately, ladies and gents, our two hours is up. Uh, it's basically time to wrap up the show, but, uh, we'll give some time for our guests to plug anything they have going on, promote whatever you like, uh, starting with you artist. Uh, you can catch me here in this living room, occasionally going live and practicing. <laughs> no, but for, no, but for real though, uh, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm currently in uh, the works of just like, you know, starting to promote more general awareness of, you know, the stuff going on in these nightclubs. Uh, you'll probably see more stuff, uh, you know, being posted on the uh, DJs and not jukeboxes uh, Instagram. I'm part of that. So, uh, where, yeah. Where, can, be, where you, can they find you? But uh, you, on Instagram, you can find me at RTST artist and you can also find me on not jukeboxes as well. Oh, uh, Alchemist. I'm not not really doing a lot of DJ stuff right now, um, so maybe you'll find me on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> there we go, Onyx. Um, I'm on the radio every day in Minneapolis, ten to three. Uh, hey. Wow, yeah, I like that. There you go. Yep, that that was a couple <laughs> years ago. <laughs> Hosting uh, and mixing every day. I'm also on uh, in Pittsburgh Friday night and Philadelphia Saturday night. On Q102, and just trying to maintain um, good vibes, and uh, yeah, nope. at DJ Bonix on everything. <laughs> Tara, um, I took a break a little bit from streaming. I did um, some. I was going a little too hard in the beginning. Um, I also um, I was very blessed to be invited to DJ um, the 24 Hours of Stevie um, mm-hmm. with Questlove, D Nice, um, oh, Anna. Giles Peterson, um, Natasha Diggs. That was amazing. Um, I think after that, I was so like nervous. I, I kind of was like, oh, I can't do anymore. So I'm self-care, self-care. Yeah, self-care, self-care. Um, definitely going to be back um, streaming, if not by the end of the month, by um, definitely in July. So you can catch me. I put my um, I'm DJ Tara on Twitter. Um, DJ Tara NYC on Instagram. I definitely post the most on those two platforms. I also share as much information as I can. I also gripe a lot about city government right now because fuck de Blasio. (laughs) Fuck de Blasio. Fuck him forever. Like, I wish I never did that. Um, Yeah, so um, you can catch me on those two platforms. (laughs) And Cosmo Baker. Uh, yeah. Also, like I, like I was saying earlier, like I, I started, I came up hot, uh, out of the gate 
streaming, and then I was just doing it incessantly. Uh, and then my dog got sick. Thankfully, he's better. He's much better now. Boots, you want to say hi? You know, Boots, say, say hi. Boots. 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 never really leave my side. Taking it. You know, um, so, but he, but it was around that time that I was like, oh man, I just am emo- emotionally, mentally, physically, uh, existentially exhausted. So I took a break from streaming for a couple weeks. And then I've been having some technical issues, which I hopefully I'm going to get them all solved by tomorrow. Um, and then I will be back streaming every Friday, seven to nine virtual disco, uh, every Sunday from one to 3 PM. It's uh, the Sunday soul review, right? It's, it's kind of based on like a, it's based on like Art LeBeau and like a, uh, Felix Hernandez and this guy Butterball here in Philadelphia. It's kind of like an old school soul radio show. We talk about the records and kind of the stories behind it. And then uh, Monday, 7 to 9, uh, The Remedy Online. The Remedy is an old party that me and Rich Medina did for however long we did it for. Uh, and then also uh, on Thursdays, I think it's 6 p.m., we are launching The Remedy Workout. That's W-U-R-K-O-U-T, um, which is a dance music, DJ-driven fitness program that me and my friend Dwayne and my friend Tanya are doing. So hopefully within the next, hopefully tomorrow we'll get it up and running. Just keep on checking my socials at Cosmo Baker Everything. Um, I'll be talking a lot of shit on Twitter. <laughs> or like, As always, or like, I'm here for it. Of my dog or talking about jazz records. You know what I'm saying? That's basically what I do. So yeah, thank you. And also shout out to my mom who was watching. Hey mom. Hey, hey mom. Thank you, mom. Thank you for raising a great kid. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Well, give it up one more time for our guests, Cosmo Baker, Bonix, Tara, Artist, and Alchemist. Thank you so much. All right, fellas. Ten episodes in the book. This is the mid-season finale, so we're gonna take a short break on vacay, but we'll be back in a few weeks. Uh, if you missed this show, you can watch the replay of this episode and any of our past shows on facebook.com slash beat refinery or youtube.com slash beat refinery if you prefer to listen to the audio side of things this episode is going to be uploaded this monday to apple spotify mixcloud wherever you consume and listen to all things podcasts so be sure to subscribe and rate us we appreciate the support and love from y'all. Do it! Again, this show is presented to you by Be Refinery DJ School at Boxer Rock. If you want to learn how to mix, scratch, and make music, visit BeatRefinery.com with locations nationwide. We'll see y'all in, back in a few weeks. Keep educating yourselves. Like Killer Mike said, everyone should check out the videos from Jane Elliott. Brown eyes, blue eyes to know what black and brown people do. Wash those hands, keep wearing a mask, and spread some love. Everybody say peace. 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 Peace.